0: The Koi Gig Pod. Emma bird is in tears. Keeping you up to date with all this summer's football in Australia. I can't believe it. We've finally done it. Subscribe to The Koi Gig Pod on the Off The Ball app now.
1: OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from
2: Off The Ball.
3: All right, you're very welcome
4: along to this morning's uh, Off the Ball Breakfast Show. We're here at half past seven. We're here with you all the way through until 10 o'clock this morning. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087 That's the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on youtube.com forward slash Off the Ball or you can get us at Off the Ball AM. Gavin Cooney is with us this morning. Gavin, good morning to you. How morning, are you? Good morning. How you so? Colin, also here. Colin, how are you? Hey, Jeff. up. Uh, I think we should start with the football, although it's hard to talk about anything other than Sinead O'Connor this morning. I know. Um, she's on the front of every newspaper and it's like a proper global news story um, I suppose it was one of those Irish people who uh, made it outside of Ireland really quickly very early on and um, seems to have had a massive impact outside of Ireland and then obviously inside of Ireland too uh, speaking truth to power in the early 90s was not something that many people in Ireland were, were doing but she did it and she did it incessantly
0: and just just reading stuff because I like I'm, I wouldn't have remembered any I wasn't uh, old enough to remember at the time all the stuff in the early 90s and I could kind of I, I would assume that Ireland kind of official Ireland condemned her but the the point at which like the official America condemned her as well it was really interesting like I mean there was that uh, I only saw still images of it I mean and to go back and find that if there's footage of where she a couple of weeks after she rips the photo of the Pope on Saturday Night Live goes on stage at a Bob Dylan tribute gig and it's just roundly booed and there's these pictures of Chris Is Chris, Chris Christofferson comes out, puts her arm around her and basically stands there uh, like Gay Byrne did in The Late Late Show a few months later. And then she eventually, you know, ran off and was kind of overwhelmed by it. There's a real, there's these amazing quotes of defiance afterwards saying, I didn't ruin my career, I ruined their career, as in the record companies and so forth. But, you know, that, you know, that we had an Irish person of like extraordinary global talent that will be remembered for her integrity and her bravery. That is a great
5: legacy. And at that time as well when she ripped the photo on SNL, Joe Pesci, I think, was the guest host the following week or very mm. shortly after, and he condemned her massively like and pretty much attacked her. Like it's actually available to see online and that was at the height of Pesci's fame and influence. That was around Goodfellas and Home Alone. So everyone would have listened to him and he was, you know, staunchly Catholic and just, how dare she do that. So yeah, she was, you know, castigated by the superstar. So she had to put up with a lot, like and then um to have uh, to come up with that iconic cover as well to Prince's Song it's amazing really and like also she's a star worth of reading in the years if you're a fan of the show like every time early 90s she appears in nearly every episode and that interview with Gay Byrne too was brilliant there was a good like chemistry between those two but yeah she's such a huge part of Irish culture isn't she last 30 years
4: yeah absolutely um, indulge your uh, YouTube wormhole today and go down it and spend as much time as you want I like it's just it's heartbreaking really and then in the context of that, like, oh let's talk about the football. It's kinda you know, I don't know. Yeah. This is a glorious triviality of sport. Uh, yeah.
0: But it's still I mean the point is you still right to be disappointed after yesterday, I think. Not yeah, and in times. the con- in not just in the context of that, but in the context of you know, Ireland going to the World Cup is kinda of was an impossible dream. A once and in a lifetime thing? Y- yeah. Look hopefully it, it's not now. Uh, potentially it is. Um But it's, and I know you feel a little, it might seem a little bit churlish after 50 years of not, you know, not being able to dream even of playing in the World Cup to then be disappointed that it's over in six days. But it is okay to be disappointed because Ireland got a tough, tough, really tough group. They could have, they played reasonably well. They could have done some things better. They did some things well. Um... But it's still okay to be disappointed that that wasn't enough. And not in a kind of a Roy Keane, uh, ah, you know, if you're, if you're happy with a sing-song to go home, etc., you'll never achieve anything. Yeah, but I don't really in that, that sense, really. Cheese it's just, pizzas. It's just kind of disappointing.
4: Yeah, it feels like we we prepared as well as we possibly could in most aspects. Um, <clears throat> I think maybe we were a bit unlucky with the Denise Sullivan injury. She hasn't played to her potential. And we needed everybody to, like, smash it in terms of their own performances. Yeah. Um, if we were going to get out of the group and yet we still got pretty close to getting a point on the first day against the host nation yeah, who are a top 10 team in the world and we came pretty close to getting a point yesterday
0: Yeah, uh, we got horsed with the draw I mean, we got two of the world's top 10 I think that's the only group in which that's been the case and you're looking at group A with New Zealand who are relatively weak co-hosts Philippines, Norway with this kind of amazing circus but not a proper football team at this tournament I think we, we did get really unlucky with the draw It's a hell of a start to the game
5: Yesterday And like with the the Heather Payne Late withdrawal too That would not have helped matters At all But Anil Gorman did very well At the start And it was her ball Down the right flank After three minutes For Lucy Quinn And you're saying You're shouting to Quinn on TV Like first time Swinging in And it was just a low cross Into Caruso Who had a brilliant first half Like Buchanan was I'd say delighted to be with at the break (laughs) because she would not leave them alone like it was everything that wasn't happening against Australia. She was trying to do exactly what she actually achieved against Canada which was harrying the defenders and pressing them. And like let's be clear that's a star-studded Canadian defence that they have certainly in the clubs they represent. And you have Carusa who um, did an incredible job up front on her own and they couldn't handle her and as a result they only got a good few chances and then to score directly from the corner but how mad is it that for the last week, people have been talking genuinely about McCabe being close to scoring directly from corners. Well, like, twice against Australia. It looked very close to it. Like, fairness, you see something happen a good few times, you're
4: like, oh, one of these is going to go in.
5: I know, but to keep on going and going and trying it again. Like, I don't know if McCabe, all three times that she, well, the two times she nearly scored and the one time she did, is directly going for goal. I'm sure she's just whipping it in to the 60-yard box and causing havoc. But, like, as soon as that left her foot,
0: I was thinking, "This is a great chance." But she knew it; like she was away. She was. Yeah, like away. A she took. She, was, she that. took like one step to check the angle. You know, like a golfer stepping out of a bunker to get a side of the ball dropping onto the green, and then she was just like, "Ah, oh, that's in. I can, I can keep, I can keep going here." I think she. I think she completely meant it. Definitely. Uh, and it's also. I didn't realize it was these goals are called an Olympico.
5: I saw. I saw Kathleen telling Joe that, and Joe didn't know, and I didn't know. No, and I she said it confidently.
0: I must challenge her on that now. <laughs> she definitely knew that confidently. Uh, uh, yeah, and, it co- and it comes from 100 years ago, 99 years ago. Uh, some Argentinian guy whose name I cannot remember scored directly from a corner against Uruguay, uh-huh. uh, and it's called an Olimpico because they were the Olympic champions at the time. Yeah, which is obviously. Canada's status in the women's game at the moment. So it's a pure Olympico in a way, like a pure hat trick is right foot, left foot header. Yeah, this is this is pure Olympico. So Katie McCabe will always will always have that. It's uh,
5: it was Ireland's Ronaldinho moment, the World Cup straight in, and there will always be the question: Did she I mean that? Would be the next question, you know, when she's interviewed in a couple of months' time: Did she actually mean that, Katie When the dust oh no, obviously you say yes. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, did Ronaldinho say yes? I, mean, I still don't. Kevin McManaman nice says yes. yes.
4: That's what's important. Oh um, yeah,
5: totally and then McCabe had her you know Zaria on Zari yeah speaking of um, Ireland captain performances like it, it was reminiscent of Roy Keane against the Netherlands in 2001 that second half oh, where yeah. she picks the ball up on the right flank and cuts inside two Can- I think it was four Canadian defenders she went around and afterwards it was it Tony Adonio who asked her in RT was like were you tempted to go down for a penalty she she's like I know I wanted to score an amazing goal
0: and she was she so did, close uh, she did say that had there been contact had there been that they would have gone have down Tony
5: go but there was none and uh even when it took that little deflection, I thought it was going to sneak in bottom corner. And there was a moment afterwards too where she lost the bottom midfield but won it back and it was pure hustle. And then she shot from distance and it went over. But you could see she was trying to grab the game as much as she possibly could, like Keane against the Dutch, like it was an incredible performance and not one that personally deserved to be on the losing side. But Ireland
0: did not warrant getting anything from that game. Canada were so much better in the second half. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were going to put in. Sorry. I think one all at time was an injustice and then yeah. had it been 4-1 yes. Canada yeah. full time I'm thinking nah, you can't really argue with that Talk. they did create a lot of very clear cut chances and we didn't really I mean, the, even in the first half when we played well scored the magnificent Olympico goal Keir Cruz had a 1-on-1 that was blocked yeah tough angle Were there any Sinead other? Farrelly had the outside of the right yeah. rally,
5: which um, Sheridan put behind for a corner and was it Denise Sullivan had a poor enough shot from distance by her standards, yeah. technique-wise? A whole but of I thought Canada were so poor in the first half, especially their final third passing.
4: With respect, though, right, we always get hammered in international football and it always finishes 1-1 one, one or 2 all That's <laughs> what happens. We, we draw games that we're supposed to lose against teams who are better than us. Like No one ever, with the exception of 2012,
0: hammers us in these games, right? Uh, yeah, under the relatively small sample size that is out of the World Cup. You can't argue with that, no. And, and most of the other tournaments uh, sorry
4: the Belgians hammered us as well Denmark. Um
0: well sorry Denmark's playoff
4: yeah um, oh no that doesn't count
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's not real
4: uh, so Virapau it seems in the papers it's like there's just this acceptance from the people who are out there that there won't be a new contract that this is the end of the Virapau era now in the game against Nigeria is that the right thing to do
0: yeah I mean it's in one sense, it's very strange, like you know, this is Veerbai has clearly done a very good job as Ireland manager in the sense that she's got us to do a bloody World Cup for the first time ever. So I think kind of harsh to say then, you Thanks know, very much. farewell. <laughs> We're going to move on without you. Um, but you would have to say that the FAI haven't the FAI haven't given her a contract yet,
4: which is unusual.
0: Be. From well, this is what we usually do. We usually, I mean, <laughs> managers tenured, and their agents yeah. usually tie this down yeah. way ahead of time uh, and a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Mick Mick obviously got his secured before the World Cup, and then had to be torn up within two games after it. Uh, the RFU have been doing this for years. Uh, o- I think Eddie Sullivan and Declan Kidney. I'm do- I'm just going off memory there. Um, but yeah, so uh, you, know, you you were using the word before on the the RFU newfound maturity in letting this uh, letting this play out and see how it goes. But. Um, I kind of think she should stay I and mean, she had uh, yeah. done such a good job I can't help but uh,
5: speaking of rugby comparisons it's like uh, Vera Powell and Joe Schmidt have a similar impact I mean obviously Schmidt uh, achieved so much like in the grand stage but it's the way that Pau has turned us into this incredible kind of systemic team almost like that we have we're a very tough unit to break down and I know we've lost those two games but it is like against Australia and Canada like they're way better sides look at them on paper look at the players that Canada brought on a half time alone versus what we were able to bring on. So in many ways, she, as a unit, we're performing above what we should, but it's the individuals that we lack. And the Schmidt comparison I mean is that, you know, he was so tailored to a system that there was very little room for individual creativity, and maybe that's the negative point of Europe House's approach to things. And you feel that there is maybe a lack of uh, innovation and space to kind of create. But at the same time, perhaps we just don't have the talent, especially in the final third, to be able to do that but mm-hmm. I think we should be very like happy with what Powell's done for the site
4: Kenny the dad says Vera Trapatoni.":
5: <laughs> yeah that's the one I hear more I try to be more positive I don't think she I don't think she looks down at the players like the way Trapatone did
4: no I don't, I don't think she does um, no she diagnoses them more accurately more and is less uh, yeah. you know
0: I, my back five is slow I mean yeah the, uh, like that, that's, that's one yeah. number more than Trap would have said
5: yeah but the back five is slow but they are qualities at the same time as what she's saying I do I think that she believes in the players I think there's a different honesty I do I do think that she believes
4: in the players more and it seems like she's actually believed in the players more as she spent more time with them that uh, the performances were a bit more front foot than I had expected definitely yesterday yeah 100% yeah and so that's a sign that you trust your players a bit unless the players just like doing a But they were Paris coming from a
0: low base like I mean they barely crossed the halfway line until they went behind against Australia
5: Yeah I know but they nearly nicked the draw at the end against Australia Yeah create, I mean like they didn't have a corner till the 70th minute and then they had half a dozen so they did get there eventually I mean that's classic Ireland at a World Cup performance I know. backs against the wall against superior opposition and then when you create chances like it really fits in nicely to going back to like that reading in the years moment like if that Queen glancing header gone in against Australia that's a classic Ireland one all. Yeah, And that first half display yesterday, if there was one or more, two more chances and obviously a goal or two uh, scored, then you're talking like, what a tournament Ireland have had. It's kind of fine margins. The only disappointment was how quickly Ireland faded in the second half and how Canada were, I think Joe said to Kathleen on the World Cup show yesterday, it kind of reminded him of limber curlers at the moment, is that like, all right, lads, we're great there in the
0: first half. Let's actually start playing in the second half. And that's yeah. kind of what happened.
4: Uh, who is going to be the new manager?
0: I like I I don't know the the interesting thing about power is that I thought that there might be a bit of a slightly more fraught debate as to whether we should or shouldn't extend the contract, but like you said, there just seems to be a general air around all the reporting around it is that it's this is probably done now. Like, yeah, maybe you move on. And look, in, maybe, in fairness, maybe it, it's, it's
4: more opinion than know. reporting because no yeah. no one's actually said that they've spoken to anybody off the record or on the record, or it's just a, like her. Her contract looks like it won't be renewed. Yeah. Although she wanted it to be. Yeah.
0: Opinion is kind of often informed by a bit of, bit of knowledge of what's okay. going on in the background. Okay. Um, like, it's it's a more attractive job now? Massively, I'm, I'm massively attractive. I'm a massively attractive job. Yeah. Like. Uh, this is now like, if you take the Ireland job, you're walking into a team that has legitimately world-class players in Katie McCabe and in Denise O'Sullivan. The, the sad thing is that we haven't really seen that from... Denise O'Sullivan of the World Cup you still get the sense that you're on an upward trajectory I mean your first game could potentially be sorry it feels kind of harsh the power still on the job but if there is a new manager uh, their first game would be at the Aviva um, which you would hope would get a you know well they obviously will aim to set it out but hopefully get like 35,000 plus for that mm. um, and you've got a team that kind of has a real good shot now draw depending on making the Euros like. sorry is this that really
5: premature to talk about the end of Europe how? No, I mean... Well, I, sorry, my personal opinion
0: is yes, but there's a general vibe out there. But even the, the vibes, about... The vibes indicate that the Nigeria game could be your last game.
5: Yeah, but like, who's going to be the manager for the Aviva friendlies? Geez, like, Mick McCarthy got two games after the 2002 World Cup. Now, they got to the last 16. Yeah, but... And it like, leads me to think, you know, are, are ex- we going to get... Uh, anything, so. are, are, it didn't work very well. Uh, well that's uh, I, the entire I, next campaign was a write-off after that. That's what I mean. But, uh, like... I don't think there's a write-off uh, question about Pow. She's clearly going to continue to have this really good system in place. I don't think we're going to fall off a cliff. We don't really do that under Pau last couple of years. I, I just think it's a bit premature. Also, like I'm also thinking, are there going to be a homecoming here? Like, Are people going to come to see these players when they come there home? There is
4: going to be a homecoming, yeah. Uh, Dublin City Council are putting that on. Um, a good question here from Mark Dunning. Given we can't qualify now, should wholesale changes be made for the last game to give everybody the opportunity to play in a World Cup? Or do we
0: go all out to win the game and play our best 11? Uh, the, f- the former. I think you, ca- I think you have give to everybody give... everybody f- a game. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, the one of the issues around this, well, from, it's only my personal opinion, it's just, like, uh, there's very clear segregation between first team and second team. Yeah. To the point that the first team flew out to Australia a, a day in advance... Uh, because that was the only way that everyone could get on business class. So the top players went so they have an extra day to to acclimatise. I think given it's so historic, the Ireland going to first World Cup, that it's such a big thing to be involved in. Um, I think you, I think you give players their shot at playing in a World Cup rather than just going along. And if we get hammered
4: five or six now, sure we we don't it get a hammered in World Cups. Like, I know, but I refer to you. I know previous,
0: we know we don't. But I B- previous comments B you know, team either though. Uh, I think I think you. I think you rotate a bit, yeah. And I think I think it'd be brutally harsh on some of the players who have come through what they have. Thinking particularly of Chloe Mustacki, and then just to go and sit on the bench for three games. Don't think that's fair. So make five or six changes. Yeah, keep, keep Katie. Oh six. yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> going. Jason We're not going that mad. Uh, no, totally.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Or- Courtney
0: Brosnan. Uh Yeah, oh, yeah, know, yeah. Keep Courtney and Keep Katie McCabe in the team. Um, but ro- yeah, rotate beyond that. Do you think the result against Nigeria? Is going to determine how it's future. I think. I think I the think point. So. I think the vibe. The vibe across the papers and across all the uh, opinion formers uh, is that it's kind of done. All, it seems to be done. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit there, but I don't know. If I to get pumped four 0 which won't happen, maybe that changes things. But
4: right. And, and look, the, I mean, things could change very quickly afterwards. On the way home, they might decide actually this has been a great experience. There's something building here. They take soundings from the players who afterwards go, you know what, uh, this relationship is hard, but uh, good for us. Uh, mutually beneficial. Yeah. And
0: we should stick with it. And there is a risk. I mean, if the FA do want to change up, there is a risk. Because like you say, I mean, Power does guarantee Ireland a certain base level of performance and thus achievement. And it just comes down to do we need, it becomes a conversation like we've had with the men's team for a long time. Yeah. Do we need to add something more to this that gives us more in an attacking sense.
5: There's a, there's a ceiling there, for sure. And I I don't get a sense of huge warmth from the squad towards her, but maybe that's just her style. And look, that is effective to a certain degree, but yeah, like there's a ceiling that's going to be hit, but I don't think we're there yet. All
4: right. <laughs> Kathleen McNamee is with us. Kathleen, good morning to you. How are you?
6: Morning, guys. I've been enjoying this conversation the last few minutes. I have many thoughts. Well,
4: <laughs> Spill the beans.
6: Uh... I agree with gavin i don't think Vera is gonna last past the world cup and um, the vibe on the ground is very much that she's run her course with this team i think there's a few players in there who wouldn't be too sad to see the back of her either i think like yeah she got us here and she's done that but i think especially with all the controversy that there's been as well over the last like couple of months i think the team need a clean slate it's been such a bumpy right into this world cup and i think the players are kind of tired as well of us answering questions on behalf of like the management team and having to go through those things um i think the substitutions that she made last night and the way she put out the team shows that maybe she has reached a bit of a ceiling with the side um and i also think we have to go out and win that nigeria game 100 percent, that should be the aim like no we shouldn't just be putting players onto the pitch when getting that win is so So important for this team, I think. Uh, Maybe substitutions later on in the game, but I wouldn't be going making any wholesale changes.
4: Uh, Okay, there's a lot in that. Um, Is there an obvious (laughs) candidate list? Is are are people talking about a replacement already?
6: Yeah. Well, the word like the talk on the ground out here very much has been like what's going to happen because I think even before the team went out to Australia, there was a feeling that unless something really remarkable happens during this World Cup, it possibly would be Vera's last campaign with the team. Her herself has said that, you know, she wants to stay on, but the way things have ground to a bit of a halt before they even went out to the tournament in terms of talks. And I honestly just like looking at Vera the last couple of weeks. I think she herself is exhausted from everything over the last couple of months. You know, she hasn't had that want to that she's had around her for a long time and i feel like some some of the players when you ask her about her now the responses are getting a lot less emphatic and a lot more surface level and the you know there's no one on the team running out to say we absolutely want Vera to continue on past this world cup and i think that's quite telling
4: Yeah, there's there's definitely been an absence of the uh, ringing endorsement at various stages. And there's been plenty of opportunity for
0: it to happen. Well, famously, well, I say famously, but most notably Katie McCabe sitting beside her at Tala um, before the France friendly. um, After all those, um, after the athletic article kind of reheated all those allegations from, from the Houston Dash time that were put in that NWSL report last December, um, I think there's definitely respect there, but there isn't. It wasn't a full-throated. We're 100% by Vera here. Why are you fake news media talking about this rubbish to distract us ahead of the World Cup, etc., cetera, etc.
5: Yeah, even even the post-match interview yesterday McCabe with uh, Tony Donoghue, was you know effusive in her praise, but her teammates and how great they were. And Kathleen, I think you talked about it in the World Cup show that you know her individual performance in the second half is extraordinary, but only helped by her teammates, which is what she said. But at the same time, she eventually got to the point that like, well, also big credit to the staff because it's a collective effort, but there's no mention of the manager there really explicitly. Do you get the feeling, Kathleen, that uh, Pow is kind of hurt or disappointment by the squad's approach and feeling towards her? Or is she the type of character that really won't care about that and it's her way or the highway?
6: Uh, I I definitely think she's a it's her way or the highway type of manager. I think that If you look at the way the squad, like exactly what you were saying there, the way the squad talked about her previously compared to how they talk about her now. Like, I don't think I interviewed a single person or heard a single person last night pull Vera out for, you know, what she had given the team or how she had set up the team. It was all the team talking about themselves or talking about other players. I think like if it... uh, If the whole thing ended badly with her, I do think there would be some hurt there, but I think if it's a case of everyone saying, okay, we've just come to the end of this journey, where do we go from here? And you guys are right, there is the massive question around, well, then who takes over? But I do think this team needs something fresh going into that Nations League, possible Euros qualification campaign. Because I think there's just been too much that's gone on and there's too much baggage over the last couple of months for Vera to stay on and... I get the sense there would be a bit of disappointment if she did stick around for a long time like maybe they will give her the Northern Ireland game in terms of just having like that big kind of homecoming game and you know one big hurrah but I I would be surprised if she stayed from what I have heard on the ground here
4: Okay Um, now that the dust has settled a little bit on the performance yesterday is there anything that we could have done differently in that second half do you think?
6: and not made a substitution at halftime. I didn't understand that. I thought Lucy Quinn was doing a really, really good job. I think that, for me, a lot of the substitutions didn't make a whole lot of sense. It felt like Vera had read some of the criticism like, in the lead-up to this game about not using certain players and then threw a lot of them on. I know we did like tactically change things up a little bit, but it just felt like we had found a system in that first half, and we should have stuck with that for like a little bit longer before throwing the bucket things um in fairness to canada i think their substitutes came on and did incredibly well and really dictated the game but like emma byrne was pointing out on koi Gig last night that that central midfield area was so important for them and whenever they took out whenever they brought in Christine sinclair and we took out lucy it left us like a little bit lax there and that we didn't have the we weren't able to like let, say, the likes of Farrelly and O'Sullivan run right the way that they had been in the first half. So um, I think there's definitely questions to be asked about the personnel changes and why they came when they did. And I mean, like the last 20 minutes in particular were just kind of a one-woman Katie show. Uh, I think she was trying to single-handedly drag us into the Nigeria game with something still to play for. Uh, and We just don't have the depth. We don't have the depth mm. that Canada have. You look at the players that they brought off the bench, you know, none of them are the sort of players that you would turn your nose up at. We, I thought Kira Caruso was so good in the first half and really, really showed what she was capable of and played the role that we wanted to see from her in this World Cup. But she just doesn't have the of someone like McCabe like there was one moment uh, in the second half when McCabe and Quinn were battling in midfield and somehow McCabe got the ball away and like a beautiful turn and that's when she got the shot off that looked like it was going to be a McCabe screener if you had a player up front who could do something like that who could get themselves away from those tricky situations I think that it would make a big difference for us in terms of where we get our goals so I think it was a depth issue mainly that saw us not have that clinical edge that we needed when it mattered most.
5: Kathleen, what formation should this Irish side be playing based on the personnel?
6: Million dollar question. Uh, I think what we saw in the first half yesterday is probably as close as we will get to a formation that suits the way the team plays. Like, I think that when you have players like Sinead Farley who can hold the ball as well she does in those central areas and then also McCabe on the links like there was a couple of balls going from Lucy Quinn over to McCabe on the other side of the pitch which were just absolutely sublime um I think if we can get a system like that that works get Caruso like firing a little bit more Um, I think it would be really beneficial to this team in terms of how the personnel that we have and how well we can play. I think bring Manion into that team as well Mm. um, in terms of getting a bit of pace up from the back and a player who can, you know, keep the ball at her feet really, really well, isn't afraid to take on defenders. I think if we had a player like her in this tournament, we probably would have got a result from either of these two games that we've played.
5: And like surely push Megan Connolly up further, yeah? Because... It feels almost like... Yeah, so like Conley... Yeah.
6: Yeah, so like if a player like Manning came in, that would free mm. Conley to go up into her usual position. Uh, I mean, like she said it herself when we challenged her marbea It's not a role she particularly enjoys playing, but she does it because, you know, that's what's required of her in the team. Um, so yeah, I would be interested to see if a new manager came in. Would they stick to the kind of Vera Powell, five of the best... Katie Bain on the wing not being pushed further up the field or would they change it up a little bit
4: Are there any potential candidates obvious at the moment or is this one of those uh, we hire a a global recruitment specialist team who go the whole way around the world and then find somebody who's working at Navistown at the moment
6: Uh, uh, From what I've heard there's not a shortlist at the moment like, it'll be interesting to see how they approach it in terms of the fact they got Vera Powell in and, like, on quite a decent wage. And that was just two connections in the FAI. So it's going to, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do if they do decide to change things up.
5: Uh, what's your final review of Perth as a place?
6: Um, it's been <laughs> that's <laughs> I told out near, like, Fremantle and stuff is really nice. The weather has been atrocious since we have been here. The city itself is really, really quiet. Um, I talked to a lot of Irish fans yesterday who are all a bit in shock, I think, after going from Sydney to Perth in terms of vibes. Uh, a lot of people say they were very excited to get out, but also no disrespect to any Perthians who may be listening, and I maybe just didn't see the right parts of your city. It's
4: basically like Port Leash. Is and I always
6: understand? have paid and I quite
4: like poorly, so. <laughs> well, there you go. You wanted to have a go, Kathleen, for confidently uh, knowing more about football than you? Was that what That's what your story was earlier on about the Olympico?
0: What? What?
5: What? No. Uh, I was uh, watching the World Cup show, uh, which was held and Joe, and I was like, Joe, I was like, it's an Olympico? What? You knew about this beforehand? I had never what? heard about this at all. Uh, Gav was telling me about it too
1: beforehand. Sorry. Never heard of it.
6: Yeah, I, I think it was actually one of the proudest moments of my career that I knew a sporting term that Joe Malloy did not know. Yeah, I, I thought it was really common knowledge. Like, I didn't think it was this weird sort of thing. Olympicals are relatively common in women's football, so maybe that's why, like, there's been a couple of very good ones over the years in big tournaments. Um, like, I I think in the Euros last summer, I saw one or two, so maybe that's just where I knew it from, but I'm glad I could educate you all
3: on this one.
6: <laughs>
5: I mean the forget arrogance of uh, the arrogance of the statement with the, the coat on and the coffee in the background, like she's just wearing that very well. Come here, did Katie I was McCabe, gonna
6: say, like, forget covering my first ever World Cup, forget any of the rest of it, getting to see the first ever goal, this this is the highlight, this is the true honor, forget everything I said last night.
5: <laughs> did McCabe mean to score? No,
6: not at all. Oh what? not a chance. What?
4: what are you talk- why is she kicking it in the direction of the goals if she's not trying to score?
6: Well, like, as in, she was trying to get the corner in, but she wasn't trying to score it. And like, we asked her about it last night and she kind of sheepishly was like, yeah, like she wasn't. Sorry, the consensus down here is that she definitely wasn't from everyone I was talking to. She was like, oh, because of the wind and the rain, she didn't really, she was trying to like judge how to get it in. And she, when we asked, she was just like. Yeah, of course I was trying to do it, but you could see in her eyes
0: she wasn't uh, Just trying to get that sorry. on the end of some of those, those words are good enough for me. Yeah. I think I'm sorry, I I I believe We her. can't sorry, if we end up going to our first women's world cup, Kathleen, and we only score one goal, we can't come home saying we didn't mean to score it. Uh we have to uh, <laughs> Not <laughs> the, accidental goal. Not, not to kind of throw out all the ethics of journalism, okay, etc and print the myth and not the truth, et cetera. but we can't come home saying we didn't mean to score that goal. <laughs>
6: I mean, I know she meant to score as in she wanted Ireland to score. I'm just not sure if she entirely intended Semantics. it for herself. This
4: uh, it's all very, uh, no, you know, judgmental.
6: I, I'll, live in the, I'll live in the dream world for a couple more days. It was, uh, yeah, I, I think I blanked out for most of that, to be honest. All of a sudden the game was started again and I was like, did we even celebrate that goal? I can't remember.
4: Kathleen, good stuff. Chat to you later. Thanks a million.
6: Bye guys. Have a good morning.
4: Hey, yep. Kathleen, back to me live from leash this morning at a minute past eight. <laughs> Uh, some of the quick things we need to talk about: Jamie McGrath, Uh Wigan didn't pay him a couple of times last year, and so therefore he's available as a free agent now. Don't
0: don't blame him. Had been in Scotland, wasn't it? Was it Dundee United he had been at? Uh, and as soon as he was playing regularly, he was back in the Irish team. You know, so Stephen Kenny wants to pick him. So uh, Scotland has been good to him. Maybe he'll end up uh, end up back there. Has definite use in the Irish team. So good for him to get out of Wigan. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, Kylian
4: Mbappe has decided not to speak to the club in Saudi Arabia. This is a, a good political
0: move from Kylian Mbappe, who sometimes makes bad political moves? Yeah, look. I mean to Mbappe, like he hadn't relegated him to a lower himself to a lower level of football in return for boatloads of cash in almost a year. So it's obviously good that he's <laughs> uh, he's on a journey of personal development. It's, it's such a weird story. On, yeah. It's such a weird story. Um it makes no it makes no real sense that he would go there uh, other than just for the money. Um, the PSG thing PSG are hilarious around it I mean he was going to go to Real Madrid for free last year uh, in a position of weakness and desperation they had granted him this huge two year contract effectively seemed to make him a kind of a pseudo sporting director while they did it and now he's talking about I'll see out my fi- the final year of my contract uh, and then go to Real Madrid and PSG are saying you can't do exactly what you said you would do this is an outrage yeah sorry he's not playing at a high standard of football as it is yeah I know uh,
5: I mean whatever But the political aspect And the morality issue He's not testing himself anyway
0: I suppose at least He's in the Champions League
5: Yeah but uh, Like how many games that Like the group stages Don't matter really Like even if you have uh, An elite team Well they reached status. the final In middle of Covid So you know that, But that's a, You You have a few examples But for a player To that esteem Like Macron said He's a national treasure To be protected at all times We yeah. see him about Half a dozen times a year uh.
0: Yeah but the French The French team <laughs> They see uh, every week, seem yeah. every week. Yeah, every over week. there I mean, week They play Strolling
5: through games There like are other teams That they play strolling matches Strolling through games Yeah but
0: like
4: It's like uh, this is easy for me uh, You know Not every league has uh, 15, 16, 18 teams Who are good every week If he's one of the best ever He should be playing At the highest level And he's not So everybody should always Just try and join Real Madrid you could have a number of teams also play. Manchester United also acceptable on your list well I wouldn't say that as high as <laughs> level now, but uh, they could
7: play
5: you could play for a number of clubs that's not PSG it's too easy for them. Um
0: FIFA on amateur level
4: okay uh, Jordan Henderson training of course in Saudi Arabia yesterday
0: this is this whole thing is weird now like obviously we've gone through the kind of the moral rights and wrongs of him leaving But so he has left he's like he's now training with a new team he's filmed this video did you see it last night (laughs) he got this kind of uh, kind of expensively produced video of him reading a farewell script in the Anfield dressing room and walking kind of solemnly around the empty ground Liverpool haven't announced it yet I'm kind of interested in like because Klopp has loved this guy you know Mm. and Klopp seemingly put a lot of noses out of joint above him to give him a contract extension a couple of years ago and now Uh, they're not that money back and yeah, and like club, I would imagine, is feeling a little bit betrayed. So we haven't seen anything on the Liverpool website. You know, when Roberto Firmino left, there was, they did this kind of 10-part HBO farewell documentary series. So he produced uh, his own and it's not official from
4: the club just yet? No, okay. they haven't announced anything yet, which is so weird. Uh, did you ever find Pep Guardiola's goodbye to Barcelona when he was a player? No. It's mad. There's like a similarly produced video, which I, I don't know why. So It might have been one of those... Um, uh, UEFA produced magazine shows around the Champions League. I was like, I never saw this at the time, but it's very, like, I'm very important around here. And and uh, didn't he? He went to join Udinese, I think. Brescia I think. Russia. Didn't yeah. he go to the Middle East? then Did he? Yeah, mean That was the beginning of it all. Yeah,
0: I think he went. Did he play in Qatar?
4: Uh, right there. That's basically most of the stories that have been happening overnight. If there's anything else you want us to uh, chat about, leave a comment in the YouTube stream. A reminder that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. Brayburn Coffee is coming to an apple green near you. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Brayburn Coffee experience. After the break, Linda Gorman on Ireland's exit from the World Cup. First, here's Kathleen chatting with Katie McKay post-match.
7: Yeah. Katie, you gave Ireland possibly one of the greatest moments in their history with that goal I know you haven't had time to see the reaction back home yet but everyone was absolutely elated What was that moment like for you? Um, yeah I, I mean we, we looked at obviously our set pieces we know we have a lot of aerial threat um, and it's up to myself and Megan whether he decide to make sure we we're putting it in those areas and I was obviously delighted to, to see it hit the back of the net um, there was a lot of wind and rain as well um, so it made it difficult for the keeper but um, yeah it's kind of yeah you're kind of in a bit of disbelief to be like i have just scored the first goal um, but at this level it's all about results and um, of course it's a nice moment um, but but, yeah, I'm absolutely heartbroken in terms of the results and where it's left us in the group. What were your words to the team at the final whistle as like captain, as the leader of this team? What what were you saying? Just how proud I am of each and every single player. Um, it's not been an easy journey to get here, um, as you all know. Um, the highs and lows of the last few weeks: players missing out, um, players getting injured. Um, it's been a it's been a real journey for the team and. For the way the girls have held, like, held themselves throughout this, this whole few weeks and starting against obviously Australia and then tonight as well. Um, I was just so proud of them and for us now it's about regrouping and um, keeping the positives from these games and making sure we, we give the nation something to be really proud of and hopefully we can end this tournament with a win for them The support out there was absolutely incredible tonight I think only at one stage did I hear any Canada chants, well, what would you like to say to all the fans that have travelled? Well, honestly the, the fans here tonight in Perth um, it felt like we were at home in Dublin in Tallaght Stadium, um, it was absolutely incredible from the minute we started singing the national anthem, it was like we all had goosebumps. It was honestly the stuff of dreams. Um, you could even say it was even better than the night in, uh, against Australia because it was so close, knit the fans cheered us on from from start to finish. Um, and we're just, yeah, we're just so grateful for them being so far away from home and then f- making it feel like we're actually at home in Dublin in Ireland. It's incredible, and um, yeah, we owe it all to the fans because they've, yeah, they've really made it special for us otb am
1: the sports breakfast show from off the ball
4: right Linda Gorman is with us good morning to you, Linda. how are you good morning how are you feeling
8: um a bit disappointed you know as a player a bit disappointed um overall with the game it didn't really go for us in terms of um they they're so more effective than ours And um, we had a magnificent start. You couldn't want for anything better. Sometimes, though, when you you score a goal early, you're under fierce pressure because the other team want to bombard you. But they didn't actually do that for quite a bit of the first half yesterday, Um, simply because the style we were playing and the way we were playing was just a dream. But we couldn't sustain it.
4: Uh, Is the value of qualifying for tournaments like this hopefully going to be seen now over the next couple of years where we realise that there are periods of a game where we can take the game to the opposition and we don't have to be conservative?
8: Well, the way I would look at it, we have 23 players in the squad who've had the experience of World Cup. Now, they're going to influence an awful lot of young players that it's of the level that you need to be at to be playing. And there's no better people as role models to be able to to get that across to a lot of people that, okay, I'm the best as the country thinks, but I'm not good enough really at this level. So we need to do something from um, a grassroots level.
4: That's the legacy. In terms of the game itself yesterday, right, um, is there anything we could have done differently, do you think?
8: Well, we all know how good Denise O'Sullivan is. You know, And she, she didn't have a best game in my eyes. And it's just my observation, not a you know, criticism of her. She sort of rushed the ball a bit. She'd be somebody that we depended on to play those penetrating balls. She didn't seem to settle on the ball as the way she used to um, or the way we expect her to. Um, having said that, she did enough to get across, but she wasn't as effective. And she's a star player and in a star position yeah. that we really need to be on form.
4: It felt a little bit like the injury is is lingering with, with her, that like there's been a an impact.
8: Well listen, the only way I can describe that to you in playing a league game that we had to win one of our players um, tore ligaments in her ankle as we subsequently found out. She finished out the game simply because her adrenaline was so high and, you know, if you're going to be carrying an injury, you put up your hand and you say, look, at her. I'm honest, yeah, I'm honest, I'm, I'm injured. I can't do what I need to do. But, I mean, I don't think the, the injury would have affected personally.
4: OK, OK. Um, the uh, style of play that we have... With three at the back, fear of powers made the point that our, our defence isn't fast enough for us to play differently. Uh, is this as far as that style can take us or, or did we just come up against better teams?
8: Well, you, you don't have to be exceptionally fast at the back. If You have to be sharp. If you're, you're not making mad runs to chase players, you, you could concentrate on your reading of the game a little bit better and you can be a little bit more compact. Um, three at the back seems good enough because we had enough wide players, however Anya O'Gorman got caught for the cross simply because she was on her own out there like you'd be better off pushing someone out to stop that ball from coming in so now it becomes two against one Um, Anya is usually so effective in preventing those crosses but the other team were just a little bit better she got away from her
4: did you feel like the result was ultimately a fair result in the end that Canada were slightly better than us?
8: Oh, Canada. Yeah, they put the pedal on. They went, went once they got over the initial shock, which took them about 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and um, because they were just completely confused, um, yeah, they they looked at what they needed to do and then they put the pressure on and they took all the chances.
0: Um, given their quality, could we have done anything differently to get a draw out of that game? Or if you're looking back at that game, are you thinking, "Look, that is about as well as we could have done"?
8: Well, I, I just look at um, the final goal, the second goal, um, and sometimes I think it was three, three against one. You know, and we stood off the player. You know, and and that for me is is a sin. If you're playing in defence, you got to get so tight that they know that you're there, even though you're trying to keep the line. You know, prevent them from, you know, prevent ourselves from putting them into an offside position. But three against one, there's no way that player should have even got a touch on the ball. Not saying that you'd foul or whatever else, but there's things that you can do anticipate the cross. And um, they were actually pushing the ball forward. We seem to have set back in the last eight ten minutes of the first half, and particularly in the in the extra time, which I thought was. Extraordinary, the amount of time that was played. Um, but we sort of reverted back into that role of defending when we should have been, you know, pushing forward, I think.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, there's a suggestion and a feeling that Vera's contract is up at the end of the World Cup and that there won't be a new contract coming. Uh, I can see why the FAI would do that. I can see why, you know, she's been part of set up for a long period of time and sometimes a fresh voice comes in but I can also see why changing it is very risky you know so you, sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for
8: yeah but particularly coming into the Euros I mean the learnings that all the players have gotten from this World Cup can only stand to them I mean if you're bringing in the likes of Larkin for um, the Euros that it's exceptional that you've got so much time at the World Cup and that's going to, to really benefit you see bringing in somebody else is like starting all over again and now we talk about it takes two to three years to build a team. Do we need to be doing that at this stage with the Euros coming in? I'm not really sure. I think people players when they look back individually will look at what did I do wrong? There I go, lapping concentration what do I need to do?
0: Do you think that we can, you know you talked about we needed maybe to be a little bit more aggressive and be less conservative, particularly maybe at the end of the first half. Like, conservative is, like, that's how Vera Pau sets up, like, that's her uh, modus operandi. Do you think that Ireland can be a bit more aggressive and attacking and a bit more uh, proactive under this manager? Like, can that, can she change or change the approach of the team? It
8: showed in the first half. We, I just was so excited to see how much pressing we were doing and were capable of doing it and the talent that came out of the players and the um, the will to win to pack the box and to get up there now we talk about um, the goal that Katie scored if you look at the players that were being marked by the um, Canadians they were off the line they were more if you look at their faces they were watching the players rather than watching the ball and I mean a little bit of wind a little bit of help it just swerved it in I think last week we talked about I talked about Katie putting the ball too close to the goalkeeper paid off this time now it could have been assisted a bit by the wind but nevertheless it was a great ball in but the other the defence from the Canadians were more worried about the players the about the actual ball coming in and where it was going to land
4: yeah um, that will to win right uh, if the squad can carry that on and if a new manager can tap into that then it shouldn't take two to three years you're right I I think it's a big risk but at the same time all the all the mood seems to be and it's as clear as that uh, that this is coming to an end Um,
8: It would be a bit of a pity to end it just now rather than see how we do in the World Cup because I'm sure Vera's had a huge learning from the World Cup and how the players have played and what they're capable of doing but really we weren't as fit as they were throughout the whole game we got very 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 tired you know now if some players can only give half a game is that good enough for the Irish team
4: yeah maybe that's the scenario that they're discovering what the step up to be one of the top 10 teams in the world is that you have elite level of fitness the whole way through your squad
8: yeah yeah, and, and individually, but we were looking quite tired and quite heavy, some players. And even the players that came on, um, we couldn't sort of keep up with them because they now had fresh legs. Some of us couldn't keep up. But if you look at Katie McCabe and the amount that she did and the areas she covered the ground and end-to-end stuff, we need players like that.
0: Are we making an error in playing Casey at left wing back?
8: Ah, uh, yeah, I, I think so too. You need somebody who can be have an engine and she does have the engine. She can influence players. She can actually influence the play and that's what we need in midfielders, creative players who can um, influence the players around her, who can cover and help players, you know, and who people look up to. Now, yesterday she did a couple of very good things. She was man-marked and she was one of herself and... Um, Denise were sort of marked out of the game, I thought. But Katie was clever because she could suck players in and release the ball. Denise didn't stay on the ball or for as long as I would have liked for her to stay on the ball. So she could make those passes. And I don't know whether she was being rushed or flushed. or I don't know what happened to her. Mm. You know, She just didn't play her usual great game.
4: Yeah, look, that's why I think the injury had an impact. I know you're saying it shouldn't have had, but um, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, we've seen her against the very best teams be our best player, like, standing out, even in games where Katie struggled in the past. So, look.
8: Yeah, she covered a lot of ground. You can't say that she didn't cover the same amount of ground, but she, I'd like to see her hold the ball. It doesn't matter if you have an injury if you hold up the ball, you know, just hold up the ball for a second, be comfortable on it, find a good pass. Yeah.
0: And is that down to how Ireland play as well. I mean, she does. She scored so many goals in qualifying, especially away to, was it Finland, and breaking late into the box. Like Those time runs seems like a strength of hers. Is, is, is it a similar story to McCabe? Like, are we playing her a little bit too deep?
8: Yeah, I think we are. And we need to tighten in a little bit when she goes forward and maybe push up a little bit from the back um, to just keep that compact Again, that could be they may not push up the way they want to because we're talking about the back three not being as fast, you know. But you can always counteract that if you can are synchronised, you read the game well and your goalkeeper is very proactive. I mean, you saw it in some of the other games, goalkeeper is nearly halfway up the pitch.
4: Yeah, yeah. we're, we're not comfortable with that at the moment
8: see that's the style of play and I wonder are the girls restricted in being able to express themselves
4: well that's that comes back to the manager you know and, and mm. maybe that's the next turn of the wheel is finding somebody who asks the players to express themselves and they're like ah oh, players aren't good enough to do that this is the eternal little death grip that we're stuck in in Irish football
8: mm. Mm. but then the f- probably the first um, thought is let's not concede goals but I'm always of the opinion best form of defence is attack but you need the players who are have the you know willing to put in the donkey work to do that you know, and um, have the ball so they can release it to players who are very good at finding true passes.
4: One of our, our listeners posed the question earlier about the game against Nigeria. Do you rotate heavily and give everybody a chance to play in the World Cup or do you go absolutely all out to try and win the game?
8: Um, I'm sure the girls want to have some type of pride and want to win the game. You know, I'd imagine that. Um, but as a player or as a manager, you sort of want to give people a feel of what it's like to be out there. But if you're doing that, you have to be quite cautious of where you play and play them on the pitch, you know. And then you talk about injuries to maybe Denise O'Sullivan, you know, will she be available the next game?
4: Yeah, there's, there's two sides to it. Like, oh, I played in the World Cup. I was patronised by when we were out. I finally got a few minutes versus
0: actually it being meaningful. So you've got to find that balance, right? Yeah, I also think that especially if Euro Pau is going to continue like the, the the reference point we have for this is Trapattoni not rotating at the end of Euro 2012 I remember Stephen Hunt gave us great into the Sunday Independent and it seemed like there was that was an issue the Trapattoni kind of lost half the dressing room effectively after that tournament if Pau is going to continue maybe the smart thing to do is to, everybody to give everybody a game
8: Yeah but you, there's no point in putting somebody at the back who is so weak that it's going to cause you problems. Well, that's the other side, right? Yeah, but I do, I'm all in favour of somebody having a taste of what it feels like in that arena because it can only stand to you.
4: Give the weakest players a half an hour at the end but pick a team strong enough to start the game and try and win it. Because if you're Katie McCabe and you're like one of the few players who deserves their place in the team and you're playing against Nigeria and you get overwhelmed and you feel a little bit humiliated, you're not, you
0: know, you're not going, going. Yeah, she needs to stay. Yeah, but if there is that much of a drop off, then depth obviously is a major issue for us. It,
8: it is, yeah, it is yeah. a major. But then we have Lark and the like Lark, and we need a few of those coming through because she's a classy little player and um, wasn't as effective yesterday. But you know, you can see she has it. It's just that she lost a bit of possessional sense when she was looking for the ball. Um, but other than that, I mean, she's coming through, and we have to have more players like her coming through.
4: We can't afford to have any injuries like of our top players, and losing Eva Mannion before the World Cup was like, oh, okay.
8: Well, you see, that's that's what happens, and that's what happens in football. You lose players, but it also allows players to shine because sometimes people are overwhelmed. Like I thought that Man United were a completely different team when Ronaldo was gone. You know, he everybody seemed to just not play to their potential. You know, so I always think that. Um, when somebody is that you think is so good that everybody looks up to them and don't play, you know, don't play to their potential and um, that you can affect players how they play by actually putting them on the pitch and giving them a responsibility. Because now I don't have Katie McCabe to protect me. I don't have Denise. I've got to now do what I need to do myself so that I am contributing to the team.
0: Because Mannion was out, Megan Connolly had to drop into the back three rather than be in midfield. Yeah. Was she missed in midfield? Oh, ah, yeah. yeah,
8: yeah, she was definitely missed in in midf- midfield. And I tell you, who I was impressed with, um, Lucy Quinn. You know, I thought she was great yesterday. She and herself and Anya O'Gorman were sort of only for those two. We wouldn't got the corner. You know, um, I thought Caruso was played a great game yesterday really a good game I was a little surprised she was taken off you know didn't hear whether it was injury or not but I was quite surprised and Amber wasn't as effective again she got herself into great position but for one possible goal but didn't receive the ball and again we didn't have um, uh, Quinn in the the middle uh, what's her name Uh, Louise oh Louise O'Sullivan no Louise O'Sullivan supplying her with the ball um, she's a yeah. very good creative player Louise
4: can I just ask you about so Anya Gorman obviously it was five years ago she retired and she's back in the squad now and you're talking about like coming back with the experience of a World cup and she's gonna inject that into the national league here like we do actually need the standard of the league here to aspire to be at international level and have the fitness of the best players in the world so that can only be a positive she's coming back with a story from the World Cup going you know I was able to make it and when we got there we found it was really hard but we were we were right there with two of the top 10 teams in the world
8: Well that's where I started off saying that these 23 players now are going to influence and affect the, the players that they now come and contact and Anya is an, a pure example because she's home based um, and she's going to be saying listen you think I'm good I'm not good enough so you've got to be good enough and hopefully she'll be pointing people in the right direction of where they should be going and what they should be doing.
4: Yeah, alright. Linda, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining Thanks us. a
8: lot. Take care.
4: Up next, former Kerry captain Kieran O'Leary. First, uh, a little bit from the latest episode of the Football Pod. The lads here talking about the All-Ireland Football Final where it's going to be won and lost. The Football Pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football, Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more.
9: Pick it a defining area or line where you think this game could be won this weekend. It
0: it definitely depends on how well Dublin can transition that plus one and get him back in front of Clifford. Because, because I think he has the beating of every single player that anyone could put on him. And if Kerry can move the ball fast enough, there's goals there, there's points from play, there's there's everything there. But if Dublin can can get back fast enough delay the ball get Howard back in front slow the game down then that would be a massive massive part of Dublin winning but if they can't do that I can see Kerry scoring 20 plus points having enough Paddy what's
9: your one key area? Midfield I think if Dublin can steal Shane Ryan's kickouts if they can retain 90% of the clockos. And control that middle third, it's just it all feeds. I agree. It feeds into what Jimmy's saying. If Dublin are dominant mm. around the middle third, it slows Kerry's transition and it stops the supply at the Clifford to a point. I think yeah. that's critical. I think the Dublin full forward line, there's a massive responsibility on them. Like Pascal was very good in the quarter final, not so good in the semi. Costello was good in the semi, quite in the other games and the injuries and stuff. If those three boys, if Khan brings his best stuff, and Costello and Pascal are hot. That could be the full
4: forward line that wins it. It's very exciting. It's tough. It's very exciting. Oh, I'm lad. buzzing for this game, man. Yeah, I think we all are. Kieran O'Leary, I hope you are too. Good morning, Jim.
2: Good morning. How are you doing?
4: Yeah, are you also buzzing for this game? Are you, or are you a little bit, a little bit nervous now, Kerry? S- you know, supposed to uh, be underdogs, oh, but they're not. They're favourites.
2: Um, yeah, it's, it's a kind of 50 50 for me. Buzzing for the weekend, obviously, especially being Dublin. Uh, I suppose the. Anticipation was it was always going to be Kerry in Dublin, even though Kerry got a good fright and possibly could have been beaten on the day. Um, but looking forward to the weekend, but a bit nervous, of course.
4: See that point that Tommy was asking the lads is there a specific area of the field that you think if Kerry gets dominance in, it's going to decide the game?
2: For me, it comes down to matchups. Uh, I think how Jack selects his team um, and who he puts on um certain marquee players that'll be the winning it for me. Um or obviously offensive part of our game we we're probably heavily dominant on David. So we will certainly need David to be scoring seven eight scores. We need the other fellas to chip in. But it comes down to matchups, how Jason Foley gets on Con I presume that'll be the matchup. Even Baskell um presumably Graham will pick him up. There's a couple of key battles and who comes out and cut top of those key battles, it'll it'll be the winners for me, like, you know.
0: Kieran, one of the things that's been kind of talked about in the later to this final is question asked, are Kerry too reliant on Shoni O'Shea and Dave Clifford?
2: Possibly too reliant, I suppose, they but they they have this um phenomenal attribute that they bring so many other people into the game. Um and listen, no one player is gonna win the game on his own. There's different. there's different classes of course and the boys are right up the top but I think for for the way they play the game the way they bring other people into it, the way the way they just kind of naturally um, produce the goods week in week out um, I think James made the point there that at times they're they're unmarkable like um, David's play from open play Shawnee's Shawnee's free kick t- uh, taking ability and the, the way he gets around the field consistently is just unbelievable but We'll need those two boys performing to top level at the, at the weekend.
4: What about the midfield battle? Because there is a sense that perhaps Kerry might actually be ahead, even though we're talking about two all-time great potential midfielders when we're talking about the dub setup,
2: again, the, the for me, like Kerry's midfield has been under pressure this year from the public eye, but I think we have two very good players. Um, I think Jack Barry has had... Fintan's number over the years, even though Fintan is having a, a great season, there seems to be a bit between the heat by him. Um, seems to really, really want it. I, I think Dublin want this game. I think they genuinely want wanted Kerry, um, and I know Kerry wanted Dublin as well. It's, it's like from a public perspective, it's the game everyone wanted. Um, but again, the midfield, I think we played Tyrone and everyone doubted Kerry's midfield and DM O'Connor ended up getting the man of the match and he, he's a fantastic young player and again, has a huge bearing in this game the weekend. I think offensively, he could frighten them because he's big, strong, he can run. He's, uh, he's a very effective player when once he's on his game um, and I think he'll take stopping. Um, but I think Barry will go on Finton that'll be a key matchup as well. Why is
4: Jack Barry so good Against Brian Fenton,
2: I don't know—is it the focus aspect of it? Um, again, Jack is very athletic, uh, aggressive, does the simple things well, but I think he's a focus point. Um, I, I think it probably plays into the the, the media kind of blow it up as well. This and and maybe listen, maybe he just likes Matthew There's certain players you like marking, there's certain players you don't. Um, and again, I'd be hoping that uh, that Jack Barry comes out and tapping in the weekend because. Brian is a key player for Dublin. Leadership qualities, obviously, he's won everything in the game and, and you can still see he wants to, uh, he wants it even more. Um, but I still think Jack has, has a lot to play this weekend. I think he'll have a big bearing in this game.
4: Fenton scored an amazing point off his knees and just all-in-one movement, got up and just leathered it over the bar in the semi-final at a key moment. And kind of himself and James McCarthy at the start of that second half in particular they were excellent. Um, and look, I, I don't know, I think uh, James McCarthy might be due for the uh, Player of the Year award if Dublin were to win this by virtue of the fact that he should have had one before now and he may well be their greatest ever player. So there's a lot on in, in terms of their legacy on the line. But as you say, coming up against them, you've got a midfield pairing who've uh, not quite won the public over just yet despite the fact that they've done incredibly well against the supposed best midfield par- pairing in the country in the last two games.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, not taking nothing away from McCarthy, he's a phenomenal player, having a great season. Um, it will come down to who wins the game, who gets player of the year, because James is having a great season, but equally is David Clifford. Um, if,
4: if Kerry win Clifford, 100%, I don't think there's any any deb- debate about that. But I, you know the yeah. way these these votes go, it's like, oh, we should have given him one before, it's his turn.
2: Um of course, yeah, of course. And, and to be fair, the boys' leadership qualities is, is phenomenal. Um, They really seem to be stepping it up. But uh, for me, is this a case of less chance saloon for the leads? Kerry are very young um, and not blowing up Kerry by any means. I think Dublin really feel this is their last kind of like Cluxton, McCarthy, but not right now, Finton, Kilkenny isn't getting his regular game time like he usually goes. They're coming to the end to a certain extent. Um, and I think this, they feel this is their last chance saloon to, to kind of, maybe this is it now carrying the final, what a way to go out. If we do win and career probably the other side of it, their average age is, is presumably 24, 26, very few at the age of 30 plus, um, bar one or two, maybe. So going back to that, I suppose the boys have seen it all. They've done it all before. The experience will tell a lot and, um, Kerry Dublin final is nervous for me, but what a buzz and an atmosphere it's gonna be the next day, it's gonna be phenomenal. But
0: that must be a massive motivation for Kerry though, Kieran, to land the final blow on the on the Dublin Empire.
2: Absolutely. Like I suppose when teams are going well and you have the chance to maybe take some sort of a scalp off them, sure you you love that, like, you know. Um I remember actually funnily enough, like going back to my own playing playing days. We, from a club perspective we were going for five in a row and James and his team stopped us earlier on the county championship and that was probably an unseen thing at the time and um, will would be no different Dublin had been the most dominant team over the last 10 years and I think there's a small bit of a change in the guard well I'm hoping there is um, because who could have seen Dublin being stopped there you know a couple of years ago I suppose even last year if there was an, a bit of extra time would Kerry have been under a bit of pressure like I know Sean he scored a f- Phenomenal free kick. Um, But if it was extra time that day, without Con Callaghan, Dublin seemed to be coming really, really into it. And I think they would have felt that themselves. So they think there's a small bit of a a chance for them to rectify that uh, this Sunday. No
4: Con, no Mannion, no Jack McCaffrey. I think Evan Cormenford's just as good as Cluxton, but anyway, no Cluxton. Different. Now here's the thing though, that point you're making about the age profile is really, really interesting because at some point, the lads get beaten by the young lads. That's just the way of life. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but again, like, I suppose, do they see... like w- What a way w- it would be for someone to vote Like when they're that age. I know that Kluxna is back, and I agree with you, Comfort was having a great season. Didn't see how well, he was bringing to the table in terms of how well, he's going to improve the team. But obviously, his leadership qualities again, and from a player's perspective, they probably wanted him in their own dressing room. Experience alone, but um, again, it's it's um, how 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 carry kind of see them playing against these boys the weekend, they'll feel that they this is the chance now to really quite the dubs, an opportunity to kind of this is the changing of the guard, this is our time now, you've had your chance, let's go and play a ball.
0: Because I initially thought, just, and an, an admittedly from kind of an amateur, slightly lazy perspective approach in this final, I always thought that, you know, Kerry might find it, sli- sorry, that Dublin would find it easier to motivate themselves in the kind of last dance territory. But as you've explained it there, Kieran, I think Kerry won't have any bother uh, in, hum- in, one, in kind of finding motivation to humble the dubs, given all that context that, that you've explained there.
2: I, I don't think so. I mean, like, listen... Some of those Dublin players are some of the best to play the game. Like you know what they've achieved over the last number of years, and I think go through all the games throughout the year. The anticipation was at the start of the year, who's going to be in the final? Hopefully, it's Kerry Dublin. Before the semi-finals, like a uh, huge crowd at the Dublin game, um, not so huge at the Kerry game. But I suppose with travelling and and the the cost of living and and the way the cost is for travelling for supporters, people genuinely thought it's going to be Kerry Dublin in the final. Let's wait, let's wait for this week, that weekend. That that was the mentality by people. Um, no, as I said, Kerry nearly got a fright. Derry were, were certainly confident pre-game and deservedly so. They were very unlucky not to win that game that day. But I still think that's a great sign of a team winning whilst having a lot to, to, lot to, to improve on. Um, and that's the way Kerry would have probably approached this game. They know they, know they have to improve to beat the Dubs. Are both teams going really well? They're are, they're going okay. Like they're going okay. Have they been tested? Kerry have been beaten by Mayo. Should have been beaten by Derry. What have Dublin played really? and put on a good show for definite. Um, could have possibly got something out of it if a few refereeing decisions or if they took one or more one or two more chances. But it, again, at the end of the day, it's scary Dublin.
4: Yeah, I think I, I think that's true, and I think that. Dublin struggled against Roscommon, struggled twice, but not a third time against Kildare, and I just uh I, I they don't feel like they're fully formed or they've fully expressed themselves just yet. And maybe they don't, maybe they don't, they don't get to that point at all this season. Um Tommy's been making the point on the football pod about the twenty nineteen replay and uh the relevance on this game. It was basically a bunch of kids versus the old stagers of Dublin, and the only changes in the team since are David Moore and Gavin Crowley are gone from Kerry and Johnny Cooper's gone from the Dubs, but it's basically the same panels. Um, and obviously that's a long time. That's a lot of hours in the gym, strengthening, of resolve and physicality from Kerry, whereas age is catching up on the Dubs. I, you know, uh, we were talking before. Who do you think is going to win? I was like, oh, I think Dublin are going to win, but I think um you're kind of convincing me here, Kieran, that the rising sap of Kerry is the one that's going to engulf the Dubs this weekend.
2: Yeah, well, I don't want to put too much pressure on them. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I finally hired myself to call it. I think it's going to be 50-50. I think, as I said, key matchups are going to be like that's going to be the winning, losing the game. And obviously, your big performers, you need them to play well. Like we need Jason Foley to play well in Con Callan, if he if that's the matchup. They have Dublin have a huge task in order of how and who's going to match David Clifford once to supply a ball as well. Is going into, um, I suppose the other side of it. Like experience is a big thing, but again, it's it's going to be the bench. Jack is going to fifty-five minutes to play. If it, if we're leading by a point or losing by a point, I think he'll be happy enough. Run the couple of bench, make make it make a bench that's going to going to make a ferocious impact and really finish the game strong, um. From a Forest perspective, I'm disappointed for Tony Braston not to, to, to be tugged out for a weekend due to injury. I think he would have had a good say in the game. I think the game would have suited him. Very good ball player. But I suppose you, depending on the panel, Killian plan to come back in, had a good day in 2019 that time as well. Um, but again, not a whole pile of change in terms of panel-wise. Experience is a huge thing. But like Sidhia Mroconner, David, Shawnee, who were unbelievable here's the time. they a couple of years down the line, Audie. physically, mentally, party, absolutely. And, and to be fair to the Clippers, had a tough year, um, after back of, of, um, Fossa going all the way last year and continued on to the, to the Kerry season and a few personal things with their own family, which, you know, credit to the boys, like credit to what they've done. Um, serious young
4: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Kieran, enjoy the game if that's possible. Do you do you actually get to like relax into matches, or are you a bad watcher oh, now?
2: Definitely, uh, uh, no. I I really, do you know, I actually enjoy the games these days. The way the game has gone has changed dramatically. It's very technically, um, you know, you have to be really aware of the tactic side of it. It's it's almost keep ball, it's cautious. I think that's the kind of game it's going to be. I'd love to see open football, like kicking through the lines, score for score, really entertaining battle. But I think it's going to be a cautious approach. And listen, I'm going to enjoy the, the 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 atmosphere. It's going to be meeting up with old friends. Um, up this Saturday, enjoy the the aspect of the All Ireland final day, and hopefully coming down with Sam on Sunday.
4: Well, enjoy. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers.
2: Please. Thanks for having me, lads. Much appreciated. Best. Karen O'Leary,
4: there, former uh, Kerry All Ireland winning captain.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine Kerry people are getting getting nervous after on All Ireland final day. They've had a good sixty goals at this now. Yeah, and they're pretty good at it. I kind of. I feel bad for kind of admitting it. Admitting it. I think I want Dublin to win. Why do you feel bad? Well, you know it's the. Well, you see, as, as my accent will tell you, I'm from Longford, uh, so I've spent uh, i spent years being roadkill in the Leinster Championship for Dublin. So it does feel a bit of Stockholm Syndrome, um, and also they're obviously the evil empire compared to the kind of the, the 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 moral purity of the Mayo of the Mayo Chase for the last few years. But I'm into the I'm into the last dance element of it. I think that I also have a greater appreciation of some of these players now that they've lost a couple of times. Like, like <laughs> because basically I want Mayo to win all those All Irelands that Dublin played. So it's just like you should kind of roll my eyes a bit when you know Fenton and McCarthy and McCaffrey and these guys would just flex their muscles. Whereas now you have a, I think I have a bit of a better appreciation. So basically, how I learned to stop worrying and love the Dubs. Is, right, is, is my state of mind.
4: Uh, yeah. Okay. How does everybody else feel about that out there? Uh, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Shane Hannon, who obviously has been speaking to the dubs, is on his way to Kerry. How are you?
10: Good morning, lads. How are things? How are you keeping?
4: Yeah. Good. Who are you going to talk to in uh, Kerry?
10: Well, I'm, I'm, currently, I'm hoping to get to Kerry, first of all. The flight was delayed from, supposed to be leaving at 10 past nine. It's now delayed to 10.25. Apparently, air traffic control staff shortages in Dublin Airport is delaying a lot of flights out, so... Uh, seems like an important role was Tom Hanks it's a slightly important role so to be fair we'll wait for the air traffic control guys to come back um, but I was watching Tom Hanks The Terminal last week Victor Noworski is the character he plays and I'm kind of feeling like if this goes on any longer I might I might make a bed there is a guy in front of me who is currently sleeping underneath the stairs so I uh, might have to join him so where, yeah, if I, if I,
0: where is Tom sorry, Hanks flying to?
10: I think he was flying to his. Uh, he was flying from Tracosia, which was a made-up country, to New York cool. to, get a, to do a little task for his, So his, he father, like so. he
0: couldn't have just got a train, for instance.
10: He couldn't. He <laughs> or driven his car. No, he <laughs> couldn't have done that. Uh, no, I did pay for the climate emissions. Uh, you know, the little extra you pay just to wow. cover your your climate cost.
4: I didn't want to. Uh, didn't want to bring it up here. I mean, I wouldn't say he it was just Johnny was supposed to be in here today. And, <laughs> and
10: well, I, frankly, I I'm
4: not sure said, if he was ever going to speak to you again.
10: Yeah, you see, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of things planned in Kerry. Um, there's a, so I'm going to meet Mike or not Mike Darrow Canage out in uh later on this afternoon, of course. He put a played a starring role in that famous Dublin Kerry quarterfinal final in one and Turnus and Morris Fitz hits the sideline uh, to equalise, and uh, of course Captain Kerry from all Ireland in 0-4, So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then Ambrose Donovan, Captain Kerry uh, from all Ireland in the centenary year in '84 himself, and Tim Moynihan are going to chat to me there. They've become a bit of a radio Kerry dream team on the local commentary down there so uh and a very special guest lads I uh, so you know i i've chatted to a dublin dublin jerry a kerry or a dublin super fan this week but there's a very special kerry super fan some of you will be able to guess who that may be when i'm meeting for a cup of tea uh, this morning slash this afternoon close so, to the airport um, close to the airport jerry yes close to fire for uh, the fire east club there all oh, right uh, so uh come back a man a man who just may have landed this is a bit of a spoiler because I wanted it to be a secret but you know what uh, he would have he would have kept that seat the Gans in quite warm over the last number of years so uh, we We may we may meet up and have a little uh,
4: I didn't realise the flight from New York had, had arrived and come here Um, obviously you know you're, you're flying far forward and that's not close on talked
10: no for, uh, it's about an hour and five minutes right out, um, <laughs> out the peninsula uh, so yeah, it's going to be a bit of a... I have a car rented from Kerry Airport, so I'm going to drive out <laughs> after I've uh, had my conversation with uh, what? The said gentleman at FireEast. I know, but like, this is the problem with Kerry. Like, It's oh. tough to get these interviews. Like, I was getting offered interviews down in Kenmare and the Like, It's just uh, a logistical nightmare. But I'm staying in Killarney, so I'll back back, back to Killarney for my last interview. Which, oh,
4: yeah, uh, cheapest place in Ireland to get out. a hotel room. This is great.
10: Yeah, exactly, We're getting yeah, bankrupted by
4: Kerry being in the All-Ireland Finals. No, I, I
10: actually got I got very good deals on all. Okay, I'm uh, sure. So, uh, and I'm, I'll be passing through Anna Skull to get out to... Uh, to get out to... on Gwail Talk as well. So maybe I'll stop into the South Pole Inn, chat nice. someone about Tom Green if I can. So, looking forward to it.
4: As Nathan Murphy famously says, screw you, accountant. Uh,
10: anywho, <laughs>
4: <laughs> you've been talking to some
10: dubs. I have, I have. Uh, this was really, really enjoyable this week because... Uh, well, less travel involved, I guess. Obviously, I would have loved it been travelling back to Monaghan for a little bit of uh, All-Ireland final build-up, but not to be. Um, so I met up with, with Charlie Redmond uh, the other day, this week, and um, the Aaron's Isle Club, of course, a bit of a legend out there in Finglas. And I thought, i was thinking, you know, that, that famous 95 All-Ireland where Charlie scores the goal, gets sent off twice, the only man to be sent off in All-Ireland twice, uh, refuses to go off when Paddy Russell gives him the red card. A few minutes later, the, the Tyrone boys are pointing out he should be off the pitch. Uh, but we were sitting up the setup for, an in- for the interview and uh, I was thinking, oh, nobody below the age of 25, 30 is going to have even heard of this. There were a group of four or five kids that set up, obviously new Charlie being from the Iron Valley Club, and straight away you're a charity who was uh, sent off twice in the all Ireland. So clearly the, the parents are filling these these kids full of the, the lore of Charlie Redmond. Uh, but we had a lovely conversation. This first clip you're going to hear is Charlie talking, uh, his first I guess, emergence into the Dublin panel and meeting the, the one and only Brian Mullins. Brian's passing of course last October this this will be the first All-Ireland since Brian Mullins passed away so um, this is Charlie Reveill's tribute I guess to uh, to Brian Mullins I think I'm right in saying this is the first All-Ireland since Brian Mullins passed away I think it was last October maybe uh, Brian uh, died but um, I remember that story of you coming into the, the Dublin dressing room I guess first probably in the early 80s at some point and, and the likes of Brian I'm sure had arms over the shoulder with, with the younger players like yourself like what, mm-hmm. what influence would the likes of Brian have had on on your career in those early, I guess intercounty days at senior level. Yeah, when
11: you when you went to a dressing room when you're playing with the likes of Ryan Mullins and Tommy Drom and Anthony O'Toole, and and you've watched these guys as a, when you were sort of 12 years of age, testing all Ireland finals, and now suddenly you're in the same dressing room. It's it's quite a sort of jaw dropping experience, and a little bit of a sort of starstruck, if one of a better term. But every one of them, to a man, were were just so down to earth. Now. Brian is Brian. Brian had his own way of dealing with things and we had some funny. I think it was the first time I went onto the field with uh, the training and he, he says to me, who are you? And I knew he knew who I was because he'd heard, because I'd heard him talking about me in the other dressing room. <laughs> and I went, I'm Charlie Redman. He says, who are you? <laughs> and he looked. I mean, and swung. He swung a build. I me, you a know, hey, little gitchy, you know. And uh, but uh, that was that was Brian. He was always he was always fun to the last. He was a, he was a great character, we sorely missed. And I'm sure, in the lead up to the game on Sunday, his name will be mentioned in the dressing room because it's it's the four star Ireland we've been in since his passing. And and I'm sure. Brian is up there with Kevin and with Anton, and they're looking down on us now. Under they'll be cheering, and I'm sure the Kerry boys have their own idols up there who are looking down. But yeah, they'll be looking down on us, and they have cheering on the those.
10: I, I think there was one piece of advice. I, I don't know if it was, I think it might have been towards yourself from, from Brian Mullins, and he was talking about the fact that you know if you're if you're out of a game and you're not heavily involved in a match, maybe get involved in a skirmish or, or uh, throw a few words or something. Just get yourself involved. Yeah, yeah. What
11: he said was if you feel the game has passed you, boy, get booked now in those days getting booked was quite hard and getting sent off was nay on impossible
3: as, so, as you well
11: know <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but nowadays i wouldn't be the advice you'd be given to any yeah. any young lad nowadays uh, it's the game is a lot more sanitized than it was in, in our day it's a lot cleaner it's a little bit faster probably not as good a game or as exciting a game at times uh, but hopefully on Sunday we're going to see two teams who play football the way football should be played and I think we've all the ingredients and that are there to have a, a, a cracker of a game Charlie, you're having a great nick there Shane
10: oh my word the man is tanned to the last and uh, it's serious like he was gardening I interrupted him from his gardening to come over to the club and, and sit down and chat But and there's a theme there like between Charlie Redmond and even Fan Larkin last week the old school lads longing for the days of old when lads could batter the heads of each other Fan Larkin was looking for hurdles more hurdles to be broken over people's legs and heads uh, and Charlie there talking about the great days of Ryan Mullins so yeah there's a theme I think
4: the dublin Kerry rivalry, what we keep hearing about is the two teams of the 70s eventually when they laid down their weapons became great mates and uh, it turns out there's loads of connections between the counties.
10: Oh, it's madness. Uh, like it was even the before Brian Mullins, I think he's the only person to have lost five All-Ireland finals to the same county in Kerry. 74, 78, 79, 84, 85. So by 85 he must have just had PTSD from, from seeing that uh, green and yellow jersey. Uh, but there are loads of links and uh, the next person I've spoken to and you mentioned uh, his pub on air the other morning I think a Monday morning uh, Piper's Corner a familiar pub to a lot of people there on Marlborough Street off, off Abbey Street uh, Sean Potts uh, brilliant musician obviously a, a keen Ellen Piper and a really really talented musician in this country and his father of course one of the founding members of the Chieftains alongside Paddy Maloney so uh, also a family steeped in, in, in the Irish language family steeped in the GEA Sean himself Sean Jr. has uh, I, I, I suppose background in the gpa and very very good friends with with desi farrell it's a great WGA pub there at Piper's corner and um, so had a lovely conversation with sean and uh, i mean unbeknownst to, to, to myself at the time and a lot of people possibly is that sean was the had uh, a co-writer or ghostwriter on, on Paddy o'shea's autobiography i had a, an unbelievable friendship with Paddy. so this is sean potts discussing his friendship with potty o'shea
1: i wrote Paddy o'shea's biography and i wrote desi farrell's biography um, I spent a lot of time when I was younger down in Kerry uh, learning Irish, and I lived with with the late uh, Seamus Begley, wonderful years, and I befriended Paddy O'Shea through Seamus. Um, I was actually playing music in the pub one Sunday night, nineteen eighty or um, nineteen eighty eight, I think it was, and Paddy asked me to go out and kick a few balls on the beach. From the next morning, and uh, so I was, I was running around like a like a like a dog uh, collecting balls out of the out of the sea on Ventry Strand and um, so I befriended him and I got to know him and then a, a couple of years later I was working as a journalist and then I ended up ghostwriting his piece I rang him and asked somebody, uh, would he would do articles for the Irish Independent and um, and then he got back involved and it was a fallow period for, for Kerry at the time um, you know um, so we soldiered together as <laughs> I was his ghostwriter I and mean, it, was, it, was, it was an incredible experience going around the country to different matches but Dublin were the nearly team at that period, you know, um, obviously Daisy Farrell was playing with that team mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, if you take those those couple of years between the the four game saga with Meads, which uh, which damaged us all psychologically, and uh, and the couple the subsequent years, it, it was a, it, it, like Kerry were sort of off the radar at that time. So Paddy and uh, myself went to a lot of the matches, so he understood the the absolute angst that was going through. Um, uh, Dublin at the time having lost the final in 92 the semi-final against Derry in 93 against Down in 94 and people were you know the decade of the dubs was the video out and somebody coming out of the down match was saying this is the decade of the duds you know and uh, but it was very it was very very harsh but then when I remember when they got over the line in 95 we were talking about special moments um, when Dublin beat Tyrone um, I was with Poddy you know and he was an incredible individual poddy like, was an amazing character when I think about it and I miss him Desperately over the last, especially over the last uh, number of years when we became so dominant, you know, but uh, I would have enjoyed that. But I, I, I do miss him and um, especially around these kind of occasions. But he put me up in the shoulders to watch the the presentation it was a huge uh, outpouring of relief that Dublin finally get over the line and just about like, you know, having been dominant for a large part of the game. Uh, we were clawed back and just better get over the line. But the relief was, was absolutely palpable. He knew that. he was a great individual. So actually, that, that night, uh, I, I'd said in, in jest to my, uh, well, sort of half in earnest, but totally, you know, uh, to, my, to my partner at the time that I would get engaged if Dublin never got over the line, thinking it might, <laughs> it's probably never going to happen. But I did it that night. I popped the question the night. Really? Of the, yeah, the night after they won, the, yeah, the night uh, open in juries at the celebrations and Poddy had managed to weasel in he just said anyway into the Dublin celebrations and uh, when he heard what had happened he, he comes over he said are you sure are you sure he said uh, before getting into a little bit of a spat with Pat O'Neill at the, the same night and eventually being being told <laughs> no one there, get out Poddy will you please
4: the full experience uh, <laughs> there's, well. a, a, there's another good half hour in that and we're going to play out with it today hopefully um, if, if you can't stay with us it's uh, available youtube.com forward slash off the ball
10: yeah, Paulie turfed out of the the Kerry celebrations and getting engaged, but like out of the pure excitement of your currently you winning in '95 is brilliant. Yeah, really good stuff from Sean to Get it up on YouTube. Um, the character that I mentioned, Dublin Jerry, uh, like Dublin Jerry, will be familiar to a lot of Dublin fans. I guess he's the guy who wears a lot of the the Dublin clothes, the hat, the full suit uh, to a lot of the matches. He's been around for for yonks. Uh, has gone to every every final I think since '58, except for the COVID final. Um, really, really good character. And I, I sat down with him in Clemenham the other morning and. Really, really enjoyable, and I asked him a question about Stephen Cluxton, and he his answer uh, resulted in a song. So enjoy this. That Cluxton kick was sailing over in 2011. We well, right over the song, we
2: never got it. Uh, we never got anybody to to bring it out. We were actually the next day after the match. You know, but uh, the second last, the second last, third last pair of scores hope uh, up the pitch. Cluxton ran. He had a good look at the Sam. he says, that's there was a what is free over. It was just at the death. 82,000 had of 82, bread. One kick and the ball sailed over. There was hats and flags flying, grown men and women crying, i seen drunken people suddenly getting sober. Kerry, they were up to his lad as soon as I heard him was over. Brian Cullen's fourteen stone, all muslin' bone, he led his team up those famous steps of Croker. And we all knew the last thing he had to do was to lift that Sam high above his shoulders. I missed the presentation. I was on doctor's medication. Three points and I just flipped over. Dr. David Hickey said to me, Dublin, Jerry Francis Martin, can't you see he getting drunk. And with the name of Jerry, he gets over. <laughs>
10: brilliant. Oh, Jesus, that's class. You definitely remember that kick, so with a, with a, with a song like that. Yeah. And a brilliant rendition too, Jerry, to be fair. Yeah, one last one for you. Uh, a prediction. Yeah, and a confident prediction I have to say, lads. Uh, there's there's obviously confidence in both counties ahead of this one. It's hard to call it, but Charlie Redmond uh, gave a, a very very solid back into the dub. So uh, here's Charlie's prediction for Sunday's game. Charlie, finally, uh, your prediction. And I, I know it's it's often when your counties involved, it's it's tough to ask people. But uh, how do you see the game playing out? I see it being a great game. I think if if, if we can get a. a, a
11: Good weather on the day. I think we've two. We have the two best teams in Ireland playing football on in Crow Park on All Ireland final day. And what more can you want? I think we just may have a little bit too much in our forward line to, to, for them to cope with. As I said, they're not a one-streak pony by any chance, by any means. They have good quality players. I just think we have more quality players. Mm-hmm. But having them and winning the game are two different things And it's ever going to be. Whoever gives those big performance, those driving runs in the second half, late in the second half, who can keep going to the end, who they can introduce off the bench and what, and how much the bench can can, can, can offer, I just think we have a little bit more than them in every, in every department.
4: There you go. Shane, anything else from the, the dubs or is it all carried from here on?
10: It's all carried from here on, lads. The dubs have had enough, so it's a uh, kingdom about from here on in
4: right uh, well good luck on your flight there was one comment that came in um, for all Shane's talk about the Saturdays you may as well be drinking that kerosene
12: <laughs> ah, listen, mm, you got to lean into
4: sweet, it don't you sweet sweet kerosene I hope you enjoy the taste <laughs> Shane good oh, stuff I'm
10: usually good for the environment yeah, cheers lads cheers <laughs> thanks a million
4: Colin Mulally and who has uh, you know not burned any uh, fossil fuels to get into the studio this morning how are you? I don't think I have, no. Short trip for me, to be fair. Uh, what's going
9: on? well there's uh, action at the Women's World Cup in Portugal lead Vietnam by two goals to nil that's approaching half time in their Group E encounter Portugal uh, well on top in that match so far kicked off at half past eight earlier in the same group overnight the United States and the Netherlands played out a one-all draw on 11 this morning uh, Australia take on Nigeria in Group B that of course Ireland's group uh, after missing out on progress in the Champions League Shamrock Rovers in Conference League qualifying action tonight there in Hungary for a meeting with Ferencvaros Varos in the second round Dundalk face KA in Iceland Derry City are at home to Coupe of Finland. Golf and the Amundi Evian Championship is underway in France. Uh, three players sharing the early lead there on three under par. Stephanie Meadow uh, among the early starters. She's won over through two holes. Leona Maguire uh, tees off later today. At the Senior Open Championship in Wales, lots of Irish interest there. Darren Clark is the defending champion. Tease off at half past nine at Royal Portcull. Porrick Harrington among the pre-tournament favourites. Joe Lyons, Eddie McCormick, Mark McNulty, Damien Mooney and Eamon O'Connor are also in the field for that and there's uh, action here at home as well with the Irish Challenge taking place on the Challenge Tour at Headford Golf Club in County Meath in swimming Mona McSharry through to another semi-final at the World Championships in Japan progressed in 16th place from the heats in the 200 metres breaststroke and McSharry back in the pool later today the Irish men's cricket team in T20 World Cup qualifying action today they faced Germany in Edinburgh from half ten this morning a win set to secure Ireland's place at the tournament next year In racing today at both Leopardstown and Limerick started Leopardstown just before to five and Limerick's action underway from five o'clock
4: who do you think is going to win on Sunday
9: Dublin Uh, I just think they'll have too much from the bench Um, probably I think the midfield battle is going to be key as well I think James McCarthy and Brian Fenton may have the edge there Uh, whether German O'Connor can continue his really good form will be key for Kerry Um, that said I don't think Dublin or any team in the country has anyone to keep David Clifford quiet enough that he will score less than kind of three or four points from play so that that may edge it for Kerry in a very tight match, but I think um, 15 on 15, I think Dublin probably have the better selection.
4: Uh, Clifford's going to score eight, right? That's what. That's what, If you get him less than that, you're like, you're. That's quite a huge gym. achievement, yeah. Um, if he scores 10 or 12, it's like, oh, that's very difficult to. to G- Jeremy
0: Connolly was in the papers today saying that uh, Dublin should not, you know, put half their team marking Clifford, just leave one man on him. Is that not extremely risky? Well, I think what you're
4: doing is you're accepting that he's going to score eight points. Okay. And if you can keep everybody else to between five and eight points, you're probably going to win. Okay. So everybody else has to break even and or better. And you just let Michael Fitzsimons be disappointed eight times in the game and, you know, take <laughs> one for <Yeah>. the team. <laughs> is Fitzsimons
9: the man? No, he did it last year, didn't he? Um yeah, like I mean, I think supply is also a thing where Dublin can, if they can edge the midfield battle and prevent as much supply going into Clifford that has done all summer, that obviously will limit the amount of opportunities they will have to some extent. Um, but I do think at the other end of the field, Dublin have enough quality to, to really put up a big score and up around the kind of 20, 22 point mark. And if they get that high, it'll be very hard for Kerry to beat them, I think.
4: So does Kieran Kilkenny start? I think...
9: I think leave him on the bench and bring him in for some impact the last 15 minutes um, I mean it, it's reflective of the depth of talent that Dublin have in that department that they can afford to leave Kilkenny off the field um, but coming on to, to play with some tired bodies on the field might, might suit Kilkenny a little bit better um, you saw what Stephen O'Brien for example did for Kerry coming on against Derry the, the it is difficult the isn't it benches are so difficult Yeah, uh, it's difficult to make an impact but if you can it can be match winning it can be defining uh, and I think Kilkenny certainly is the is the calibre player that can do that um, but it's going to be I mean it's going to be a brilliant matchup and I think the football championship needs a good final uh, it needs something that, does that we can kind of I think it does but if,
0: if it, maybe a great final will be like a late hit of opium and we'll forget about what we suffered through beforehand and yeah, therefore yeah, yeah. not I think, change the rules I think it's been largely a very underwhelming summer uh, Between the
9: provincial championships And I think the, the group stages Took a little while to take off We did have two good weekends
4: I think Towards the end of the group what stage What did we want? Well we've, we've had like Years where there was no good weekends Until the semi-finals and finals But then the quarter-finals Weren't very good uh, Quarter-finals traditionally Have not been good Were semifinals, semi-finals good? Semi-finals were excellent
0: Semi-finals were better Than I certainly Expected yeah. them to yeah, be Yeah, Definitely yeah Um I just thought like last year's final was really good I thought because it was the Walsh-Clifford shootout. out but then does that kind of trick us into thinking that the rest of the year isn't so isn't so bad when last it year was a
4: disaster I think though there were so many hammerings I think this year I, I don't think the rules need to be changed I think everyone needs to like let's settle for a while and get rid of the provincial championships link with the group stages yeah yeah,
9: I saw some suggestions that just the provincial winners should get a passage straight through to the, the All-Ireland Series and not the provincial finalists. I'd be happy with that. Um, and then it
4: goes back to your league position.
9: Yeah, and then the question of whether the third place team in the group goes through. I still think that provided the drama this year, to be yeah. fair. yeah, uh, I, I have to say, at the outset, I thought that it should have been two from each group, but but this year has shown that maybe we should stick with that for another year and see how we get on. Um, but I do think it will be a good final. I do think uh, right. they are the two best teams by a distance. All right.
4: Good stuff, Carl. Thanks That's a uh, A clip from the latest episode of the F1 Pod where Shane was joined by Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team, and motorsport journalist and broadcaster Deccan Quigley talking about McLaren's Oscar Piastri. Am I right with that? Is that correct? Any, any F1? No fun?
0: help coming from here, i
4: The F1 Pod on OTB is brought to you by Chicagotown Pizza, real takeout taste for less with Chicagotown.
3: Is Yo. Piastri already cooked? I mean, he came in with a huge reputation, didn't he? I and mean, in some ways, that didn't suit him, did it? It wasn't, it wasn't good for a rookie to have this, you know, big sort of tug of love thing going on uh, with Alpine. And he came up with such a massive reputation for having won absolutely everything mm-hmm. in, the, in the junior formula. And, you know, there, there aren't too many drivers who come in with that record in the last few years. So, I mean, the assumption was he was going to be an absolute A-lister, you know, Verstappen, Hamilton that kind of level and he's already established number two now he's he's right there he definitely I mean we're not we're not talking Nick de Vries here I mean it's mm. he's absolutely right there and he's that podium's coming for sure so but what but is he already slightly damaged goods does he look to the uh to, you know if you're uh Ferrari or Red Bull or anyone I mean you know if you're looking to to you know to build your team around a driver is he going to be the man or is he already uh, a little bit 2nd handed? That's the question. I don't know,
6: like I sort of I need to go through and review a bit more of the piece, but Silverstone, he was very, very close to Norris, both in qualifying and the race. And, you know, all drivers have their track they're not so preferred for. We don't know if there's any set thing different on the car or anything that going forward they'll improve. It's still his first season, so Hungary is a tough track. So to be a little bit off Norris and Hungary, I don't think They're going to be really selling that too bad. Like, let's see how it goes over the neck. You know, the Spa is going to be an interesting one again because he should know that track. Every driver knows Spa very well. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes out, maybe.
3: OTB
2: AM.
4: The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball. Right, it's about seven minutes past nine this morning here on OTB AM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball. Vinnie Perth is with us. Vinnie, good morning to you. Um, Let's start by talking about Shamrock Rovers. A really tricky couple of weeks for them. What's the what's the truth about the situation that they're going through at the moment? Is it just down to the injuries, or is there something more at play here?
12: Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting what's going on at the moment. I mean, the results um, haven't been brilliant, and uh, losing so many games uh, and still being comfortable in the league is a story in itself. In terms of, I think they'll win the league comfortably, but. Um, there's, no, there's no doubt there's a bit of transition going on around that squad. Um, the European results were really poor. And I've always felt, uh, from sort of the cheap seats I sit in, I always felt that they lack a little bit of pace and that holds them back in Europe. And albeit they got to the, the group stage last year, the conference, I just think that pace helps you win matches at Europe and um, and be a bit more clinical. And sometimes they get criticised for calling rovers now clinical when they score so many goals domestically but um, they they need to start putting the ball away and scoring goals so I think there's a, a transformation needed within the squad uh, but every team goes through that and particularly the top teams and how that's managed is ultimately I feel how the top managers are judged um, we had it in 17 after in, with Dundalk when we, we sort of uh, had the success of 16 uh, Europa League group stages we had a year where we rebuilt and and were well beaten in the league by Cork. You've seen Ferguson over the years rebuild teams and top managers, and I think this is the challenge for Stephen Bradley over the over the next uh, period to see can he rebuild this team to to being a top top class side again.
0: Vinny, this like Shamrock Rovers team will, as you say, will probably win four in a row, or certainly have a very good chance of doing a four in a row domestically, which is like a remarkable achievement. To be considered a great side, do you think that they needed needed to achieve more in Europe? Does that leave a little bit of an maybe an asterisk? Is too hard, but just leaves something a little bit missing.
12: Yeah, a difficult one to answer because I will I will get a little bit of criticism over. But I think I think you've got to be successful in Europe. You go back to the grey shell side under Pat Fenlon, and um, European competitions were structured differently. But uh, that great run against Deportivo, obviously the Dundalk side of 16, another great example. And I'd love this Rovers because I think they're a great side. I think they're one of the great League of Ireland sides. I just hope they could do more in Europe. But I hope. Um, the, thing, the challenge I have with the conference is we've had three years of the European conference and it's set up for the Irish clubs or smaller nations. Uh, it's UEFA's way of giving the champions something back. So instead of Rovers going out of a Champions League and going into Europa League and being beaten by a top-class side. There's this Champions route, and winning your first game is crucial. So we've had two teams out of the three competitions in the group stages, Dundalk and Rovers have both been in group stages. So, yeah, I'd like to see them do more in Europe. And, and for me, it is it is a blot on their copybook. But also, I think going back to last week and losing to Dundalk um, in the FAI Cup, this rover side don't look like winning doubles and that's something as well i'd like to see them do and and top top teams should be in, in they should be at least in the finals and final and you can go your way as we know but yeah i'd like to i'd like to see a little bit more for them even though i genuinely believe they're they're uh, uh, one of the great sides we've ever had but yeah they need more they need more bigger achievements i would say
4: how quickly can they rebuild and how so obviously they're in a situation where they'll want to see out this league campaign which we expect them to do at this point point. Um, and then next year the pressure will be on to win the league again because they haven't unless you know I'm sorry I'm, I'm not writing off their chance against French Friars but French Friars did thump them last year um, uh, in, uh, in European competition uh, how quickly can they inject pace and redevelop the team so that they can be a force in Europe?
12: Well, well, the advantage they have is, um, listen, I, I, um, I tried to do it myself back in, in twenty, and the, the, I'd like to think they have more stable owners, and that's not giving me a pass. Like I obviously made mistakes, but what I mean by that is uh, Stephen has a lot of credit in the bank, and he has a very good structured club within within Shamrock Rovers that hopefully will allow him do, do it in time, and also doing it from a position of strength is huge. It's huge it gives you a massive advantage. Now the likes of Derry won't be uh, sitting quietly in the background for much longer. So you have to do it quickly. And the other side of it is, I, I'm just giving my opinion, it's whether the people, the staff of Shamrock Rovers, realise they've got to rebuild the team and that pace in. That's the that's what we don't know. They're obviously not going to say that out loud with their current squad, but uh, I'd like to think they can see the danger signs coming, losing losing four and five league games, it's just like in, in the last six years, I think he would have been seven, eight points behind the league leaders and he wouldn't be winning the league title with the points that they're dropping. So you'd like to think they're intelligent enough to know they need uh, some some changes. But the other challenge we have is now we've got clubs in our league with money and money to spend. So it's not easy to get the best players. And a lot of our players, i just use someone like James Brown a couple of years ago because the first person that springs to mind, he left Rotterdam. You would have presumed, he would have went to one of the top teams. But players like James Brown are now going to the Championship or League One. And that's the challenge the top sides are having in Ireland in terms of those those sort of players, a Shelbourne or, or the sort of middle six tiers, those top players who have an outstanding season for a draw to the Shelbourne, et cetera, are moving to League One and Championship clubs now. And they're not moving on to Dundalk or to Rovers or Pats, Derry. Um, or at least them clubs I find a lot harder so we we at Dundalk would have been able to add people like Daryl Horgan in throughout our years or Michael Duffy or uh, Patrick McElhenney or Sean Hoare rob them from the other clubs but now them type of players at that standard are moving to the UK so sorry long-winded way of saying it's going to be difficult you've got to find players from outside of Ireland I feel
0: and then Rovers are also in the double bind Vinnie. Of obviously they've lost the likes of Liam Scales and, and Mandreau and Andy Lyons to England as well and they and they haven't really replaced them as you say that the players that might come in go to the championship in league one as well so you'd imagine that Rovers are rebuilding from will rebuild from a position of such, such strength it should be relatively straightforward for them but as you explained it there it's not going to be that straightforward at all and there are no guarantees
12: no and and ultimately people will say uh sure your man there talking has failed himself so uh, we you do it's part of the game it's 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 every club in the world fails. So signing players and bringing, particularly, when we, we don't have a great track record in Ireland of bringing players from outside the league in, we haven't been really good at that. Um, there's been lots of success stories, of course, but that's not something we've been brilliant at. Um, and we've got to get better, and the scout network have to get better because there is a there is. I think this time next year, I'll, I'll be draw it in UCD. Uh, this time next year, I think almost. Every Premier Division club will be full time. So there is there is a, a drain on a talent. We have to say that. We have to accept that. And the likes of Sligo signed 10 players from outside of Ireland last year. So we're, we're going to have to bring players into our country uh, because, yes, we're improving underage players, but there is a, a shortage of high level players. And the likes of Rovers are struggling with that.
4: Uh, is that why the squad ends up being slightly unbalanced and you get older players who are less likely to be attractive to second third fourth tier in e- in England and uh, beyond
12: yeah just th- to answer that Jerry yeah. like um uh, the first thing is particularly in Ireland and maybe it's the same all over the world but the high the average age of the Rovers team is the highest okay because when you want to win the league it's much harder to pl- blood young players when they are trying to win the league so when and I had it myself, and it was a criticism of of sort of people at Dundalk. And I keep mentioning Dundalk more today than I ever did. Sorry, but when you're trying to win a league and you're three points clear, or you're a point behind, and you're going away to Finn Harps or whatever, you're not you're not blooding young players. So if you're a mid-table team and you're going to stay mid-table and you're comfortable, then you've got that six weeks at the end of the season, for argument's sake. So it is really difficult for top teams to blood young players. So, Rovers have an outstanding academy, but actually, how many of their players are getting into their first team? It's quite few when you actually delve into it. So, And that's because of the pressure the managers on under to win a league every week or, or to win games. So, yeah, it's difficult. Um, but so, uh, your point is well made, but the other side of it is when you have to win a league, you, you ain't throwing an 18 year old in away uh, anytime soon. So, it's difficult.
4: Okay, uh, Dundalk, Derry, and Rovers all in action tonight. What are the realistic prospects of the three teams coming through? Any of the teams coming through? What's your instinct about how this is going?
12: Well, f- well, first of all, Rovers one is uh, we're presuming that's dead and buried because of the result last year. But to, um, Fre- Fre- Farnish, ugh, I can't pronounce it. Sorry, um, but they lost um, they lost the Champions League tied to a uh, Faroe Island side, which was a very, very strange result. So that's a fascinating one to watch. So I hope Rovers get through. Genuinely believe that this team have something in them, and they're being tested, and people are questioned. So I hope Rovers get through. Um, Dundalk is probably the one I, I look to because they're playing aside from Iceland, who are sort of mid-table at the moment, and I think they may have a real strong chance. They were able to rest people, ironically, against Rovers on Sunday and still win. There's a real buzz around the camp at the moment, and the. Um, the Dundalk players absolutely love Europe and you, you hear them talking about the moment it's it's the time um, they really enjoy. So so the Dundalk tie is really winnable and, and Derry's a tough tie. People will, will see the name uh, Cups and think oh that's a handy one but uh, the Finland League is, is really good uh, so that's a tough tie but I, I still expect at least one if not two teams in Europe uh, by the end of, of this qualifying round. We We've put ourselves in a good position. Our gloves, our ceilings are quite good and that helps us get through first rounds. And it was a bit of a shock, to be honest with you, that Pats didn't also get through. So I'd like to think two of the three teams will be true.
4: And that's what we need. We need the teams getting through and, and through the next round and the round after. And then it's the group stage, is that right, Might No, no, We no, had no, an no, extra to win three rounds from here.
12: Yeah. But, but, but I, ask you, I throw a question back at you. Why do we need them teams? yeah like in terms of what what when you say we need them.
4: revenue attention maybe one of the games might end up on terrestrial tv who knows i mean i know it's a lot to ask yeah. for it.
12: yeah and that's the key isn't it the attention like um cuz cuz the ga is going away after this week i know the club starts so i mean call a spade a spade, we're battling with them at different stages and it, well they they finished up the championship this week and what amazing championship it's been to be fair to them but Hopefully, we've got a team that can be League of Ireland talk throughout. You know, hopefully, it's Rovers in group stages, and and while that back pages are free for for people to to fill, hopefully, one of our at least one of our clubs can do it.
4: Yeah, that's what like. I, I, it is a fairly simplistic coverage. Helps. It helps to boost gates. It helps to boost sponsorship. It helps when it comes
0: to the politicians going. Yeah, maybe we should give some extra money to these guys. I think that I think that's the crucial point. Like, and, and the FAI will also have reason to do this off the back of the Women's World Cup. Is that they've they've clearly set out their document as to how much money they need to bring things up to scratch across the country facilities wise. The League of Ireland will be central to that, men's and women's. Um, so the fact that they've had there's been two Shamrock Rovers players in action at the Women's World Cup, and like Vinnie says, there that there is now there's there's a hole in the uh, in the media in kind of the media cycle or news cycle, should I say. For these games, Shamrock Rovers profited from it, and the League of Ireland, I think, as as a whole, kind of profited from it last year. So that's the real disappointment in Rovers losing that first Champions League tie, and to end up with a tie as tough as Farage in a second qualifying round in Conference League is kind of ridiculous. But however,
12: hey, yeah, absolutely, and I think um, kind of like not, I'm trying not to be critical of Rovers, and I think they were, but that losing that first tie was not good. It wasn't good for a league and. Um, it wasn't good for them that was a really poor performance for them and I think that's uh, I hope it doesn't but that will have a knock-on effect um, in terms of where, where they can get to because they've gone through a really tough route you now um, the Champions League as I said earlier on is it's called a Champions route and it's designed to protect clubs like Rovers and unfortunately not winning that tie has really affected them but uh, as you said there's been a lot of uh, positives uh, we keep we, we always the negatives grab the headlines but I look at um, my good friend Barry Ferguson being appointed to the DDSL that's a great move Shane Robinson has gone in from Shamrock Rovers looks like he's gone in as assistant director uh, within the FEI so there seems to be a lot of good things happening on the ground within Irish football Uh, the FEI have made a good decision with Shane Robinson I'm really happy with that so um, on the back of the Women's World Cup, hopefully League of Ireland can play its part now in the next couple of weeks.
4: The fact that there is uh, only a four-point lead for Rovers at the top of the table and the point you make, obviously, in, in previous seasons, the points tally would have had them behind at this point. Um, we could do with a run from St. Pat's and Derry, putting a bit of pressure on them, again, to add to the coverage, add to the excitement and just keep Rovers on their toes.
12: Yeah, and, and the other thing about uh, Shamrock Rovers is, and it's a point I think Stewie, Stewie Bourne has made and got a little bit of stick about it, but I, I get it because we had it with Cork. You need someone to push it. That's not an excuse. It's not a get-out-jail card. They weren't good enough and they're not good enough at the moment by the high standards. But you need someone to push it. And I don't believe Rovers would have lost four or five league games if there was a Cork in the league winning week in, week out. I really don't. And I think... Um, as I said, it's not a it's not a get out jail card for them, but you need something to push it. I think Derry now having everybody back are the ones that will definitely push them. But you've got to say Pat's going out of Europe and being able to concentrate in a game a week is is might just put them under a little bit of pressure. So a lot to play for and I think I think the, the what we don't need is robbers winning the league by ten or twelve points. We need someone to push them all away for that interest, as we said
4: you've um spoken before about how good a job Damien Duff has been doing at Shelburne. There will be an injection of cash we believe there will be access to some players um from England we believe uh it this is a, a different challenge that he's going to face now
12: yeah but it's it's a healthy challenge like the, the um um i think I think duffer' been working with a group of players that probably the style of play, Shelbourne play, is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, people have linked it to Mourinho-esque and, and the way Damien behaves in the media. They probably you know, made that sort of reference. But I think Damien's more of a forward-thinking coach than that, to be fair. And I think his style will come out if he gets better players. He's just played a style, I believe, that suits his type of players. You remember, he worked so closely to Brendan Rodgers at uh, Celtic, and they had a they had a way of playing and I I would have spoke to Damien a lot around that time. And I think he would believe in that style. So it is a challenge for him to get better players in and and sort of be more expansive. And um, because, you know, you look at, you go back to the women's game yesterday, you go back to some, one thing that always sticks in my mind from, from working with Stephen Kenny is I think you've got a responsibility within reason to entertain people. And I think Damien will do that. And I think that's the good thing of, being able to bring in a higher calibre player to add to what he has. Because he's made some average players really good and the players have obviously stepped up to the plate as well. So this is a this is a big challenge for him um I know there's a lot of you know scepticism around Hull coming in. But I hope it's a good thing and we need we need injection in of money from somewhere and every club, every league gets it around the world.
4: There was controversy about Packy Bonner saying that he thought that Celtic should have a feeder club in the League of Ireland um, 24 hours, 48 hours on? Is it, was, it, was, it, was it only yesterday? It was, it was day before, before yesterday,
0: yeah, 48 hours ago.
4: Um, how do you feel
12: about that, Vinny? Um, I, think, I think I've been on your show for a couple of years at different stages and I've... I think the odd person tells me I'm a little bit too honest. So I think on that one I'd like to just say very little other than I don't, I don't know what to make of a comment like that I'm not sure I, I'm i trying I'm trying to I, I'm actually going to hold myself back for once yeah I, Okay. I don't know I don't understand his thinking
0: you're saying a good bit by Paqui biting believes. your tongue there
12: <laughs> right I, 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 all I'd say is I don't think Paki believes in our league as much as he should and I leave it at that
0: that's fair enough Gav what did you make of it yeah, I mean that's very that's a kind of a significant implication for a guy like Paddy Bonners on the FEI board, and is on the FEI football committee. So that's like, a very important role on the board. It's a very as important an, role, as a, you know. And an it's at time like we were just saying a few minutes ago with you, Vinny. Like, I mean, it's the time when the FEI pushed the a- League of Ireland to the center of things, both in the men's and women's game as a par- as around the infrastructure thing. So, like Bonner was talking to us in house Celtic. Media gig. So that's why he referred to Celtic as we and talks about League of Ireland being over there. I understand people who are kind of annoyed at that kind of phrasing. I think it maybe has a bit of context in terms of he was talking in Glasgow to an in house Celtic media channel. But definitely for an, for an association that is trying to put forward a united front as putting the domestic league central to everything which they do that the most famous member of the board is talking in terms of the league being over there and clubs being used as feeders is not appropriate, I don't think. And certainly those in the Leave Ireland and football circles in Ireland whose noses are out of joint about it, I would have some sympathy with that.
4: Okay, can I momentarily play devil's advocate? What's the difference between Hull buying a club and Celtic buying a club and Celtic investing in a youth system and bringing their coaches over and injecting their intelligence into a club other than Celtic, right? Let's say it's other than Shamrock Rovers let's say they were to take a different club maybe maybe it's Finn Harps, right? Mm. We've seen Shea Given do the fundraising and, and Stephen Doyle made the point maybe Paki could be doing a bit of this to help, you know, football and Donegal. So fair play and I totally understand that point but what, what's the difference between Celtic buying the club and Hull buying the club?
0: There is none, really. Um, I think part of it is how Paki expressed it the feeder club thing I mean this is the problem with the whole multi-club thing is that it kind of makes financial sense in a kind of mad world like professional football to, can, to kind of consolidate like that but it's also kind of against what a football club should be for you should be representing your community and you know your people rather than saying being, the quiet bit out loud yeah that's exactly what he was kind of guilty of and I did that press conference with uh, Ilchai, the, the Turkish the Turkish Simon Cowell as we have to refer to him when he was doing that presser. And I like, asked him directly, like, "Is this a feeder club?" No, it's not. He did let slip something about you know Shelburne being a little brother. That stuff is that stuff is corrosive. I know, like, the business model makes sense uh, and the potential benefits make sense, um, but just for what a football club is and should be, it's corrosive. And then there's a the whole other issue in that. You know what, like as Pacquiao sets it up there about Celtic, about League of Ireland club being a feeder club for Celtic. That's we're back again to relying on Britain. Let's let's outsource our problems to then, and like the whole Brexit thing has meant to be. Hang on, we're meant to be finally getting our act together here, doing it for ourselves, kind of thing.
12: Yeah, just just to uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to bite my lips. Just so two, two I, I don't disagree with you, Jared. Feeder clubs aren't bad per se. They're not like we, we have to be grown up about these things and say if someone wanted to come in and, and set up technically a feeder club but higher the standard of the club to go into, I think we should be all for that one because we don't have enough top clubs. We're not like Finland or wherever Norway or, or Sweden where we've got top clubs that we can we can have one mid table feeder club. We we so we have to accept that if if someone's gonna invest in a league, great, welcome it with open arms like Hull, but You know, you have to understand there's people following teams for years, etc. And this to sort of the only other point I'll make to you, Darren, and this isn't genuinely, please don't clip this the wrong way, but it's not aimed at Packy. But the hardest part for League of Ireland people is we haven't been respected for years. And that's where the commentary around feeder clubs and it, it it can it can be we, I, I've never, I have, I don't necessarily, or haven't felt respected uh, by people within the FEI for a long time. Okay, football coaches haven't been. That has started to change over the last couple of years, and to be fair to Nilo Rieger and the coach education department is exceptional within the FEI now. Okay, so starting to change, but there is people in Irish football who still don't feel respected by the powers that be, and some of them comments were probably perceived that way. That's where you're seeing. Uh, uh, people in negativity towards it. I think that's fair enough. I'm trying to be balanced with that. No, no, I, well, I, I, at the yeah. same time, you have to understand: you keep you keep pushing people down. Eventually, you go, "Ah, oh, give us a break, lads," and they stop listening to you. So that's all.
4: Yeah, and I think, like a, you know, it's worth teasing this stuff out. But if you are going to sit on the board and be independent and be part of this whole new era and I think they've done loads of good stuff they still make occasional mistakes but I do feel like they're making better decisions more mature decisions calmer decisions than uh, we have seen before and I, I think you could now hold them up in comparison with the other two big organisations and go actually no longer a basket case Yeah. the other ones have their own issues um, certainly the FAI are miles ahead on the treatment of the women's game than the other two organisations I would say at the moment um, and when, I, I totally buy your point, when, when Paddy speaking, he's not just a Celtic ambassador getting paid by Celtic. He's also a representative, an independent representative of football in the country. Yeah, And he's supposed to have that. Like when you're on the board, your responsibility is to the organisation.
0: Yeah and like it's not I mean there's one way to uh, interpret independent as saying well sure what's wrong with the dissenting voice and hearing different things because we heard too long about the FAI was only one voice but it's different in this respect because the centrality of the League of Ireland and the kind of this this general acceptance that it's time that we kind of do things ourselves and fix things rather than allowing look into Britain to fix our problems for us that is the explicit strategy of the FAI so I mean at that point the board have now decided on that they kind of have to stand behind that united and there are to about feeder clubs and stuff there are obviously financial benefits and sporting benefits to that happening but like you said it's 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 terrible vocabulary terrible words to be using and it's the quiet part said I like
4: yeah in fairness Stephen Doyle was like is there is there a conflict of interest here and I didn't see it at first but now having teased it out and listened to you both I probably do see it a bit clearer so uh all right
12: Stuff. I'll manage the theatre club in the next couple of years, no problem. <laughs> 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 I'm, but I'm trying to say yeah uh, sorry, I made a joke, but I'm trying to say it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just didn't feel like it was said in the right way. And yeah. Stuff, you know, yeah.
4: This stuff matters. Like uh, for a, a group of people who are finally stepping out from under the shadow of being the problem child, uh, it, this, it does matter, and um,
12: well, Jerry. Well, sorry, and also, also, and I'm, I'm not accusing you of you this at all because um, you're very good in terms of your promotion. Is well, I think we're adding value as well, or the, the League of Ireland people have started to add value. Look at the international team, look at the 21s, look at the young players. We're also adding value, we're not just stepping out and um you know, we, 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 you know, we're doing a bit more than that as well, to yeah. be
4: fair. Yeah, I meant, sorry, the brand really is is <laughs> stepping out from under the shadow. Obviously, the people have been doing the grassroots work for generations, which has led to the vast majority of our players coming through the system. And, you know, when they even, was it 2012 when everybody was photographed in their League of Ireland jerseys? That was yeah. a really powerful thing. That could have been the birth of something, but was like, nah, not interested. Whereas now, actually, you have a board who are interested and... Um, Paddy definitely missed misstepped so hopefully you can clear that up in the next couple of days uh, Vinny we'll leave it there good stuff thanks a million thanks very much it's, uh, Vinny Park give us some thoughts there uh, so you want Dublin to win are they going
0: to win sure I don't know like I mean I'm a, f- a humble football man uh, yeah I think they will you're a GA man yeah. <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to fight that <laughs> um, I think the dubs will win, yeah. I think suddenly they have more they seem to have more depth. And fight your very nature. A couple of years ago. James Joyce got a whole just, like career yeah. out of that. Just when I was out, um, dragged me back in. Uh, I think certainly like Dublin seemed to have more depth. Like I mean, a couple of years ago the whole discourse was like, Hang on, where where's old subs gone? Um they're back now. They're they're the same guys that were there. But uh No, I think I think they probably will. I just think that there's something, I watched the quarterfinal and the semifinal, there's something, there's a kind of a fury behind the eyes of Brian Fenton and James McCarthy in that we're not letting this one. When go. the moment requires it, and the moment requires it now,
4: it's almost like they've been phoning it in at various stages until they had to do stuff and then they would just do it. Yeah. Um, well, sorry, McCarthy hasn't, he's just been consistently amazing. But the rest of the team have been like, oh yeah, okay, Ross Common, have the ball for six minutes, we don't care.
0: I, this is not an original point. I love the build-up to an All-Ireland final. I love the build-up to a dublin Kerry final. Just listen to Kieran earlier on just talk about how basically Kerry really want to knock these lads off their effing perch. Like, we've only really got a couple of days of it. You know, maybe. Yeah. pushed might push that, push that back a week. or Well, no, Coldplay or Coldplay have got the stadium.
4: Yeah, which is kind of There's Coldplay at the stadium at the very end of the month. There's still like two extra weeks. Yeah. Anywho, uh, Gav, thanks for being with us. Cheers, cheers. OTB
2: AM The Sports Breakfast Show From Off the Ball